Hello, friends. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, NBs, doglets of all ages. This is Watery Desho's Desho the Third. It is our third podcast series for tippity top, cream of the crop, rock till you don't stop patrons. <laughs> like, uh, and for, for they, they get the early access to this. Uh, I'm your fearful leader. Subtle Doctor here uh, to talk about Girls Last Tour, episodes five through eight, but I'm not alone. Here uh, to my left on your video screen is the Clark to my Lewis uh, fighting game aficionado, um, Scum Dipper himself, Shadon. Zetsubo, Zetsubo. Zetsubo, 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 Zetsubo. Ah, really is the song of 2020, early 2021, isn't it? But I don't see that to be entirely nihilistic. There is a reason that that song, even though it is literally just the word hopeless, repeated over and over again, actually has a lot of hope inside of it. But I'll get to it soon enough. Yes, very good evening, everyone. I'm very excited to talk about these episodes of Girls' Last Tour. Um... And also to engage in wild and rampant speculation, unrestrained conjecture. Woo! Man, shit's gonna get loud. Reckless rumor mongering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's gonna be good. I'm very excited. Uh, Shadon is excited. The patrons are excited. We got a live chat uh, queuing up. Uh, and if you out there, you're listening to this audio or watching this video on demand, and you're like, man, I want to be part of this live excitement. I want to hear it when when the doctor bonks his pop filter and it creates a disturbing noise. I want to be there in that moment to live it with everyone. Um, then you can. If you're not, you just head on over to patreon.com slash watery-desho. That's W-A-R- U-I-D-E-S-H-O-U. Subscribe. Uh, to get these Girls Last Tour pods, you will want to subscribe at the $5 tier. That is the uppermost. That is the peak, the top tier. To the top level, even, uh, you might that say. Is, that is the, uh, the Chun-Li uh, <laughs> in Third Strike of, uh, of the tiers that you could subscribe to. We, keep, yeah. or we try to, to keep our tiers budget-friendly. Um, that's right. I know. I know some shit about fighting. Shadon doesn't think I play fighting games, but I know sh- some shit about fighting. I, I, mean, I played I, fighting games ten years ago. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought your experience started and ended with rock and sock and robots, but maybe I maybe I underestimated you, Doc. I don't know. It, it I mean, may, I mean, may have started there. Who's top tier, red or blue? You tell me. <laughs> well, it depends on. Uh, are you talking about pre-patch or post-patch? Oh, I don't know. Like, it depends on all that. Game <laughs> what is. version of rock and sock? <laughs> Yeah, the ones with the manufacturing <laughs> defects. Mm, bad frame data. It's I I can't dispute that. Um, so also to the folks in chat, um, I have done some futzing with the audio levels, um, some filters for the live feed. This won't affect um, people listening on the pod. That should sound the same as always uh, when we have our we don't have audio problems i mean but but if you're in the chat and you think like it sounds like weird um uh rackham i have played clay fighter uh both 
the original SNES game and 63 and a third. Uh, they're great. I love, I love uh, Ichabod Clay and uh, Blue Suede Goo a lot. They're my clay children who I stand. Uh, but no, like if you notice that you can't hear us or something like that or we're too loud, too quiet, uh, just let us know and I can, I can try to adjust it. Um, but all that uh, business out of the way. Um, let's talk about, uh, in broad strokes, before we get to the creatives mm-hmm. and patron questions, let's talk about how we felt about episodes five through eight, broadly speaking. Uh, Shadon, why don't you start us off? Uh, I, for the most part, really enjoyed them. They're not even in quality. Um, if we're talking relative in terms of like one to the other, the one in which uh, which I think was called Labyrinth and Baking uh, was the weakest, but that doesn't make it bad. All of these were good. All of them I felt were worth my time to watch. Um, it's, it's it's interesting though because like the way this is structured, we've we've got a question about structure and like how uh, this show works later on for one of our patrons is that. In a way that almost is like Kaguya-sama, surprisingly enough, even though, of course, they could not be more different um, in terms of their content. Um, Like, you get little vignettes, basically, or little skits or situations, like a couple of each. Apparently, Dolly can't hear me. He needs to turn up. You're having trouble hearing Shadon, okay? Um... All right, how's this? Speak, Shadon. Lo and behold, he came from Manchester. <laughs> the atomic beer um, drinker, the destroyer of no. We're not making that nice okay, uh, job film. Anyway, no point. <laughs> so what was I saying? Let's, let's hope. Uh, let let us know in chat if that's better or worse or how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. So what I was trying to say is like I really enjoyed all these episodes. Um, I thought that some of them were or like one of them in specific was weaker than the others but that doesn't make it bad that's just a relative thing uh yeah i enjoyed them all quite a bit uh some of them i thought were really touching um and also really reassuring even in like the most incredibly bleak situation these skills are in like there's still like hope and joy to be discovered um not just for them but also just for what would happen in if, like, you know, there were very few people left on the world in the on the planet, and uh, what would come next? And I'll explain that in more detail. But yeah, broadly speaking, I think this show is still as good as it was when I first watched the first block for episodes, if not even better. And I've also started to engage in a little bit of what I said before, which is wild theory crafting, rampant, uh, you know, speculation and conjecture. Dun dun dun. I wish I had like that appearing in Big Ben Hur letters behind me as a graphic. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and the thing is, like, um, I like I normally don't really buy into that too much, but if I'm really engaged in a show, I start to do that. I think that's something that fandom tends to do a lot with shows they're really into, and that's a, can be a good thing if you obviously don't start fighting each other over it. But when you're actively engaged and wondering what could this mean, like you know, and it's not just and it's it's not just that there's actual substance to it. Then that's great. So yeah, I'm I'm really into it right now. Yeah, no, um, I I think I broadly agree. I don't know if I think this batch of episodes is is better. Um, I mean, it certainly moves us farther along in uh in the story, um, and we learn some new information. But just in terms of like the content itself and the ideas and 
uh, it's maybe unfair of me to say, but like the freshness of it. Like, I don't know if I, if I think it's better than the set of the first four. I mean, I, those first four episodes I thought were really, really strong. Um, this is not to say I dislike it. I think I like, broadly speaking, am, am, am super positive on it. I mean, I think there's so much here to enjoy. Um, I don't think that there's anything about these episodes that's like functionally worse, right, than mm-hmm. than the previous set. I don't think it, there's there's no missteps. I mean, I think it's mostly just reinforcing a lot of what has come before. There's a few new ideas that that I will certainly talk about, but I think the reason that I might not be like just the most gung ho about about this set of episodes compared to the first, despite really liking this set, is um the, my frame of mind when I was watching it this week, like. This is not the fault of the show. The show is what it is. But, like, I just find myself really distracted this week. Watching these episodes once, like, took forever for me. Um, And that's a me problem. Excuse me. I don't fault the show for that um, at all, really. Uh, It's just, yeah, like, I just struggle to make it through a whole episode without, like, checking my phone, checking my email, um, popping on Discord, seeing if anything was going on, looking at Twitter. Um, but this could just be me and my like very poor sleep schedule, um, uh, and all that kind of thing. But I mean, you'll hear as we get into it. Like, I think that there's like there's a lot to love about these episodes. There's a lot to chew on. Um, there's some stuff. I mean, they, they peak really, really high. I agree with you that they are a little bit like peak and valley. Um. Where you thought episode seven was the weakest, I found episode five to be the weakest Ooh. among them, while still being like you know, um, you know, so- solidly entertaining. Like, um, and that again, this could just be me being super duper distracted. So we'll see. I mean, uh, I'm I'm curious to hear to hear your thoughts on everything, as oh, I'm sure you're curious to hear my thoughts. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is gonna be good. I'm looking forward to this. Um, but yeah, I think it's also just worth remembering though, like, um, the thing about Girls Last Tour is I would absolutely describe it as melancholy. Uh, I think that's something we can all agree on. Unless you're watching the version with all the colours turned up, or maybe you've got a faulty monitor, you know, um, or if you're watching one that's been, um, you know, <clears throat> how should we say, it's got fan subs on it and they're not even saying anything, like, the things that they are. Um, <laughs> but by Mary Smith being melancholy, I think that like with most things, to be honest, you do need to be in a certain frame of mind to watch it. Um, if you're having a bad week, for example, I would probably not recommend you watch Girls Last Tour because there are, like, you know, there is moments of joy and, like, you know, um, hope for the best tomorrow, you know, the dawn of a new day, all that sort of stuff. But there's no mistake in the fact that there is, <laughs> that doesn't, like, magically stop them from, you know, being in a post-apocalyptic world where no one lives uh, and it's just, like, grey, grey... Brown, gray, gray. That's a different color from right. gray, by the way. I just want to point that out. Uh, gray yeah. and gray was... are different colors. <laughs> For me, it was less of like the kind of the bleakness or melancholy. I actually really enjoy that aspect of this. It's really it was just the pacing mm. um, that that I struggled with. And again, it's that's a me problem. I do not. I don't fault the show because. 
I loved the first set of episodes in it. I think that was just like I was I had had more sleep and was in a better like kind of uh, I, I was better able to focus my attention on them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but no, um, I love the mood of it. Like the, the without the mood of it, I mean, the show is just like uh, loses a lot. Hmm. I agree. Uh, for me, like I think, I think I benefited from watching some of these episodes on my lunch breaks throughout the week. Another perk from working from home, not least of which is because they served as a distraction. Where I thought, hey, you know what? I mean, she and you, like they bicker sometimes, but at least then neither of them are completely incompetent. <laughs> unlike, working from home unlike, must be fun. Unlike some people <laughs> I've met in my time at work and all that. Yeah, yeah I don't get to work set. from home anymore. <laughs> uh, so. God forbid Wee. when I have to go work back in the office again. <laughs> anyway, I'm not here to bitch about my work life, so I'll leave it there. Uh, but yeah, I've got a lot to talk about, uh, and I'm really looking forward to uh, diving in, chewing the fat. All right. Oh, yes. yeah. And I some mean, fat we I, will I, chew. I mean, episode eight, like, you know, uh, it it is a celebration of one of my favorite things in life. Cheers. Um, beer, yes. Be- dance- drunk dancing. Um, well, 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 I can get drunk. I just can't dance. Well, neither could they. <laughs> I mean, they just spun in a circle while holding hands. Um, which, I mean, if that if that qualifies as dancing, then fucking sign me up. I'm an expert. <laughs> I, can, I mean, I don't know. I can though. spin I mean, in a circle while holding hands with the best of them. I mean, the OP uh, does confirm that they are, you know, capable of dabbing. So that's that's true. <laughs> is the dab a dance again? If the dab is a dance. They've got a sense of rhythm. Uh, I'm, I'm, on, tra- I'm on the leaderboard, <laughs> and I, n- I never, I never got a sense of rhythm as part of my character sheet when I was created. So, nope, can't dance. No. Um, also, I, if you haven't seen this show, just as a little note, I would not recommend going to the Anime News Network encyclopedia page about it. Because <laughs> if you scroll down exactly looking for information, if you scroll down for looking, looking, uh, looking for information about some. Um, you know, directors and stuff, you'll see the Japanese voice cast. And it's like, there's all these like characters that <laughs> that haven't appeared yet. And it's like, what? No, fuck. Uh, I didn't want to know that uh, Schoolgirl B uh, was a thing here. Oh, does, um, does the architect turn up? You know, does he yeah. still, is he still getting work from after the Matrix? <laughs> yes, concordantly, vis-a-vis. Um, yeah, so there's just a word of warning. Uh, there are only one creative we have to talk about, though, because, um, everybody else we mentioned, you know, we talked about the director, uh, we've talked about, you know, the the episode directors here for this set, three out of the four of them worked on the previous set, and the writer, uh, Furiasu, uh, is just the writer, he's writing all the scripts, uh, and doing the head writing, um, so the only person we need to talk about is um, the scriptwriter for, sorry, the episode director, rather, of episode seven, Yoshiko Mikami. And uh, Mikami-san um, has done some episode directing before. Uh, got a shout out, um, Rackham Extreme and Mine's uh, Darling that nobody else enjoys. Akame got killed. Kill in all caps, of course. There's some episode direction there. We have uh, episode direction for uh, the... I think it's the second. It's one of the seasons of Durarara. Uh, I can't really tell how 
<laughs> what the what the uh the suffixes mean uh episode 13 direction for kill the kill uh shadon and doc favorite mm-hmm. um directed an episode of grimgar ashes and illusions which i'll always say grimgar fantasy and ash that was a weird show that is not bad it's just odd <laughs> um and the perfect insider has come up a number of times when talking about this show this person mikami-san directed episode number five um and there's a lot of in-between animation credits as well on things like um space brothers and the little witch academia movie and uh things of that nature crab rangoon so that is uh that's the 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 thing why why do you what is yuki talking about (laughs) Uh, he, he's 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 saying why did you go and check like the for the voice axes oh <laughs> i didn't mean to it's right there on the page i couldn't help it it's just like it's it's there it's just visible there's no spoiler tags or anything like that Oops. um but i apologies i i would I, if i could men in black myself i would Oh, but well, I, cannot. I mean, I mean, people could have looked at, you know, like the uh, the voice actor list for Promised Neverland season two. And I guarantee you, knowing what happens in mm. that particular season, uh, would not <clears> have uh, made it any less poorly executed. Yeah, I'm getting my sideways Fair. swiping at that. Ooh. Fair. Uh, uh, but that that's all for <laughs> that's all for creatives uh, on on GLT. So. With that uh, out of the way, we can get to the patron questions and our own discussion points. We can indeed. So I will take care of the patron questions. Uh, we have um, one for, firstly from Rackham Jr. Uh, it says, if you found a machine to make rations like the girls did, what flavor of rations would you first try to make? This referring to when they find the big baking uh, apparatus. Um, if I had like Boy. the resources to make stuff, I'd probably... Ooh, I'm going to say banana bread because I've actually made banana mm. bread cookies and they're very nice. So if I had the, if I had the facility to make, it, I'd say banana bread flavored rations. Yeah. Are they, are they bread? We've established that they're sort of bread, right? They're uh how do I put it? Or, or cookies or something. They're a, they're a complex carbohydrate starch structure with, <laughs> with with additional lactose and sucrine like that's the way i would imagine it being right. described on the package <laughs> well i'm trying to think because i mean i i don't know i feel like if i were them and i've been living on the same thing for so long mm-hmm. i don't know i might want like a savory flavor mm. but then again they've Chicken. they've had those pota- your nacho cheese uh like I, I but they've had the potato <laughs> So maybe that would sate their their uh, their savory flavor craving. So I guess I mean if I can't because that'd be weird. I mean nacho cheese flavored bread would just be fucking weird. Uh, so I would go cranberry orange, a nice Ooh. a nice refreshing citrusy kind of flavor that's not too too uh, sugary sweet. Mm-hmm. It's a shame baking isn't like those uh, those. <laughs> vending machines that you find in restaurants for coke i know the, like the here's fusion, 40 flavors yeah. you get to make whatever you want it's like it's, it's such a gimmick but if i were in the post-apocalypse i found one of them i'd be like beep, 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 beep. what's it taste like i'm I, I, i've got a clue <laughs> it's a it's just the the suicide as we used to call it when oh, you Jesus. just take the drink and 
you take the drink and you put one of every flavor of soda on, in the fountain in it. And for some reason, when we were little kids, we called it suicide. Um, Tastes like water. Right. right. Like, um, you, what you described, I'm pretty sure has been developed at, for the Consumer Electronics Show. I'm almost positive there's like a burger 3D printer that exists. Oh it's not, God. of course, for purchase I, I, by people like us, but... I am going to go one better and say that I have seen a vending machine that actually apparently exists in the real world somewhere that will print a pizza for you. Oh, nice. That seems easy. It, it looks disgusting. That seems like an easy... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet it's pretty gross. Um, oh, and ugh. you get to see it being made, though, in real time through a, a glass panel. And that's the thing that, like, it would probably be acceptable otherwise but no just I, I i don't want printed pizza i'd rather eat like fake plastic pizza that you gain like kids play sets you know those tiny little mm-hmm. ovens you get like that's a that's a fake pizza. i'd rather eat that fucking hell um but yeah i'm gonna go with banana bread because banana bread is delicious it, it can't be it can't be too different from like the lunchables pizza i mean i feel like that's tastes fairly printed like the the cracker crusts or whatever tastes so flat uh on those they're Matt, they're pretty bad i if you say i mean if you take lunchables boxes into a desert the desert gets actually actually gets wetter by comparison because they're just so dry <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ the sand feels damp <laughs> yeah well I, I appreciate the spirit of this question from rackham i i enjoy this mm-hmm. all right next question comes from uh gogo type robot as of episode 8, we have had no indication of how the world got to be this way. Can this show end in a satisfying way without this answering this question? Yes. I think there's a I think there's a path. Uh, I think it might avoid the spiral of failure if you want to call it that. Oh. No. Um what, I think it, this reminds me in a way of Akadama Drive's ending actually. Oh well, we, I don't know what the ending of this show is just yet, but it reminds me of how that one went, where... A bloodbath. We <laughs> well, there, there was also People, that. And, there's riots and uh, streets, uh, just 50, rampant death. 15 minutes of filler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to end an episode. No, mm-hmm. I'm kid- I, I am, of course, kidding. I'm referring to uh, the fact that the two kids in Akadama Drive, you know, they escaped and they got to go into, like, this portal of light that led to somewhere unspecified. We don't know what that is. But that's totally okay because the intent, of course, is that they are free. You know, they have escaped the sunset from ending. The sunset ending, and I'd be okay with a sunset ending as well, where we don't know where like Chi and you end up after all this is over, even if it ever does end. Um, but you know, I would be all right with that if just like it was just more of a non-descript, like you know, endless ending kind of thing. I suppose then that leads me to ask though, how would I feel if both of them died at the end? What if this was a Dare I say, Grave of the Fireflies ending. Oh, God. You know, does just someone drop the atomic bomb on the gray earth? No, I mean, I, I just mean if they died. <laughs> like, what, what, how would I feel if they died at the end? Ugh, mm-hmm. um, I think it depends the manner in which it happens. Because the, the, the impression I get here uh, from this from these episodes is that like, as particularly, by the way, with the new characters we meet in this block, Ishii, who uh, flies the airplane, um, mm-hmm. the impression I get is that even if ultimately you fail in doing something, this also applies to Kanazawa with his maps as well, of course, uh, the fact that you tried 
is a worthwhile endeavour in of itself. And so if we expand that to the entirety of the show, where, okay, look, uh, you know, the girls are trying to survive in this post-apocalyptic, like, you know, sterile hellscape, um, and they have their moments of joy interspersed between all the bits of struggling, like when the Kettenkrad breaks down, or, you know, if they start running low on food. Like, we have things like them baking, for example. We have them getting drunk, which was not a thing I expected. <laughs> I know. What a great uh, uh, moment. I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, but, like, there are many moments of joy to be found in out of the despair of this world. And so if they ultimately do end up dying, but they die, like, knowing that, hey, it wasn't all bad, um, and we tried, and even though we ultimately failed, the fact we still tried and gave our all is what is important, that would be consistent with the themes of the show. And I'd feel that would be a fair message. Because not every story ends in success. Uh, but that doesn't mean... That not every story and that that story can't be a net positive overall either. If you know what I mean. Oh yeah, no, I know uh, exactly what you mean. Uh, to specifically answer the question and also follow up on some of the things you said, um, I think the show definitely can be successful if we don't find out where they are exactly. If it's not, mm. you know, forthcoming mm. about like, well, th- this is where this place is or whatever. Um, in, in fact, I would rather it not. Hmm. Uh, be precise about that. I enjoy the ambiguity that's there. I like all the kind of uh, interpretation that it affords uh, viewers, you know, and and uh, the way that the audience is able to interact with the text, I think is enhanced by keeping this relatively ambiguous. I think that... Um, yeah, I think like if if the show did end in them like, you know, arriving at some destination, the being like hooray, it'd be like a betrayal of the show's themes. And I would go that strong on it. Like I, this, you know, like you said, if it does end, if there is a finality to it, based on what I know at this point, I would think it would have to be some kind of. Uh, failure quote unquote and we'll talk about (laughs) what you know what the show has to say about failure and what that means it's definitely something i want to talk about but oh yeah but uh, but i think i think even i think even better than that it would probably be served to not arrive at any destination i mean i'd be and i'd be happy with that um Mm -hmm. honestly i i would based on again what we've seen thus far yeah the girls themselves i mean it's also worth considering their perspective in this which is um they have a general goal of finding the highest level, whatever that is. Um, which I Where assume... do you think this comes from? Well, I have a theory on that, but I'm going to save that for discussion later for okay. something more, more fully fleshed out. Because I've got... This Cause... is part of my rampant speculation. Mm-hmm. Well, like, there's this... I think it's in episode five when it's raining. And they stop. And you is very much like, well, why don't we just stop for longer? And I'm like... Why don't they stop? <laughs> what what uh what is their internal mechanism that is like pushing them on to like continue to the highest level? I mean, and this could just be more kind of allegory for uh or a sort of metaphor for human life or whatever, but like just in terms of them as characters rather than them as like avatars for ideas or philosophy, like what's pushing them to go higher like why do they want so you know like why don't they just lay around like what's what what's up with it so i'm i'm curious about this 
Um, I think it's just because they haven't found anywhere stable yet that they could, in theory, settle down. Like, they're just relying on what they can scavenge for the moment. Um, this isn't like, again, in Promised Neverland, yeah. where they find the shelter and the shelter's got, like, everything they need uh, set up for them to sustain themselves for a while. Right. Well, I guess what I mean is, um, th- and that is true, that they do have to be nomadic, but... Yes. But they do seem, they seem driven to reach the highest level, which is, oh. is different from kind of an aimless wandering based on... Like, j- just kind of to survive and meet your um, physical needs. Like, they seem to, like, be motivated by specifically reaching the top. And well, that's what I'm curious about. Mm, I'll get inside a little bit, because it ties into something about... Um, Aim for the top. Gunbuster. Because <laughs> it ties into something about... Um, chi- sorry, I think it, Chi it is, uh, and one of her character traits. But I'll get into that later. Anyway, um... So yeah, I, I will agree with you. Like, I think that the lack of a destination is a, is a, by design. It is a feature, not a bug, and I'm totally cool with it in that case. Um, mm-hmm. Well, when I say a station, of course, they have the upper level, but it's the most abstract broad thing. Like, it's just a generalized yeah. goal rather than we must get to here, this very specific street or something like that where the mm. resistance awaits to take us back to safety. <laughs> you know, there'll be yeah. the helicopter or the plane or whatever, you know. like It's just, we're going up. Um, and some of the areas, by the way, from section to section in these episodes don't even follow logically from one another. Like, in episode 5, they're, like, in this field of what looks like giant rebar, and I'm like, where the hell is this? Like, mm-hmm. and, that, and I like that, by the way, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. I think that sense of, like, discontinuity uh, really helps sell how far they're traveling, but also helps, like, work with the fact that there is a broad aim, but not anything mm-hmm. specific that they're after. Um... Because otherwise, like, they'd be spending more time talking about their progress and such, which is not really what they're doing. Um, but again, by design. So yeah, I'm totally cool with it ending in such a way where we don't know what this place is. Cause, um, it could, as we say, even still be purgatory for all. It might not even be literal. It might not be the physical world as we know it. And mm-hmm. I actually have a theory on why that might be. Uh, you, but I'm going to say that... It could also my... be heaven. It could be heaven. But it's depopulated because God is dead. And everyone left. I don't think God is dead, actually. But that's again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself in my rampant <laughs> speculation. Oh, Next. boy. Next question. Um, what are you, this is from Rackin' Jr. What are your thoughts on the symbolism and design of the graves in episode eight? And do you have any thoughts on how that symbolism message slash message could apply to our present slash past? So the graves are either, depending on how you want to look at it, giant filing cabinets or mortuary... Um, whatever you want to call them. I don't know, like, what the things are called. I mean, racks? Stores? Like, I don't know. You, you know what I'm referring to, of course, when I speak mm-hmm. of those. Um, but what we find in them, of course, are not bodies, or even skeletons, fat matter, but rather personal possessions. Uh, a spent shell casing, a button, and a radio. Um, and there are names on the outside of these cabinets. Um, so, firstly, if, if you look at them as just being, like, filing cabinets... Um, because I think that's the thing I lean to more, simply because there's no bodies inside of them. Um, I love the utilitarian nature of these by as their design, because again, it ties in with how cold and clinical this society is, that if there are people who are buried there, or if they're just leaving mementos behind, that they are just filed away like it's just paperwork. That just shows like how this society, if it even is a society at all, has treated its human pe- its people as little more than just, you know... Things to be filed away, curiosities, documents, information. Like, it's not actually treat them as human beings. Um, 
but that's assuming we treat it somewhere where the society is that rather i my alternative theory is that they are there for people to store um items that were relevant or personal to that individual uh, even small little things um like the radio for example we i mean we could speculate on what that meant to that person maybe he was someone who listened to the radio a lot uh, i can see for example in listening to the radio in that house that they were in in the early in, in the show in episode five mm-hmm. um and i think that the overall idea of it is that by leaving those things there it's a memory of that particular person and it's reverence that memory of them you know, you remember them how they lived. Uh, maybe the person with the button was someone who sue a lot, you know? The shell casing, uh, right-wing gun nut, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I I think the design of them and the utilitarian nature, like depending on how you look at it again, could be seen as a very clinical, very authoritarian. We just treat our people as things we file away when we don't care about them anymore. But if you treat them more as a personal thing, where there's like a place for mementos to be stored, so that way we celebrate how they lived, how they rather than how they died, I think that's quite powerful and could fit well with what I think the show might be going for here. If we are assuming this is not a literal society, a real world place, but rather purgatory or something like that, where you know better remember people how they lived rather than how they died, which also ties in with hope from hopelessness, which is another theme of the show. Um, can you repeat the question, please? Yes. Shady Don. Thank you. Uh, the question is, um, what are your thoughts on the symbolism and design of the graves in episode eight? And do you have any thoughts on how that symbolism slash message could apply to our present slash past? I'm not actually answering the second okay. part, but I'll bring it up in a little bit. Um, well, this whole scene actually made me kind of, made my mind go in a different place, but um, the, the nearer's but yeah, I mean, the the grave symbolism is is really neat. Um, as as like you said, these drawers are file cabinets where what people valued most, uh, or or an, a sort of physical manifestation of the th- things that they cared about or who they were was rather than their physical body, um, is really interesting. Um, that 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 is what remains. So I think the statue is really key to this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll 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 go into what this really made me think of. Uh, and and that is that this was kind of I guess I don't know if this is the show supporting this kind of thinking or if this is just the show exploring this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have and I have some questions about. It. So like. This seemed to me to be a very kind of um, an exploration of uh, British empiricism in like like the 17th and 18th century, uh, mainly the 17th century, hmm. and kind of the problems therein. So, what do I mean by that? Well, um, empiricism is uh, this way of understanding reality based on what we can know. Um, and empiricists say that like the only way you can know something is through observation and your senses, mm. right? If you can't, if things don't track back to that in some way, then, um, you, you, what you have of it can't really be called knowledge. That's the only way we understand reality. Um, they're sort of the opposite, like the sort of school that they were railing against was, uh, what people call today the continental rationalists. These were like French and German philosophers um, in in the main, at least 
those are the most famous. Damn French and German. How dare they? On the on the on the continent. I mean, mean, we've Um, left the EU now, so I am mandated by my country to hate all (laughs) Europeans. Yeah, you. So I've got I've got to fulfill my two minutes hate. Good. We got that segment in. Very good. Uh, But the continental rationalists thought that, like, actually, uh, human reason could uh, know some things, like, apart from experience. Like, it didn't have to track back. So they believed in things like, you know, uh, like the reality of, like, numbers, um, even though things like, you know, the number two is not really observable. Two of an object is, but, like, you know, the concept, uh, the number. And, like, um, yeah, exactly, concepts uh, and things like logic. You know, they would say things like the laws of logic are true, not just because that's how the human brain works, but because there's something like in the fabric of the universe that makes it true. And oh, when our I, brains <laughs> line up with that, like, then we get things right. I'm going to have to brains... disagree there because I've seen some people in my lifetime who have not had a single drop of logic pass through the reds ever. <laughs> I ain't observing nah, that well, shit. <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Carry on. Well, <laughs> no, no, it's cool. So, um, yeah, like, so those are the two, th- those are two ways to think about knowledge and reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The, sh- the show seems to be, at least in this scenario, putting forward like a kind of version of British empiricism, like something like David Hume would say, like, I'm going to be super reductive here, but he would say something like, all we are is the sum total of our experiences, uh-huh. which is just everything we feel in the moment and then or, or see or observe in the moment and then memory. The memory is kind of like this bank of experience that we can go back to. Um. And so what happens like, you know, when we die, um, does that mean since we're not experiencing anything anymore and after a while, no one remembers us, but we might as well never have existed. Mm. Um, it's the whole, you know, if a tree falls in the forest business, doesn't make a sound if there's no one there to hear it. Um, it's a similar analogous way to think about it. And then that's where the statue comes in. So the statue, there's there's another kind of empiricist that's important this time uh, called Barclay, Bishop Barclay. Uh, he he was into the whole empiricism thing, and he took it into like a, a different. He took it a few steps further, right? So I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase "esse est percipi." It's a lat, It's Latin for "to be is to be perceived." Um, right. So like if you're not being perceived mm-hmm. by anyone, then you might as well be <laughs> you're you don't really exist. Um so that's like why we're doing this podcast someone, after all. Exactly. So someone's always perceiving you, you're always perceiving everyone else around you. But like what happens when we die? What happens when we're alone? What happens to things? You know, does a tree really make a sound if it falls in the forest and no one's looking at it? What about these things we all know, like parts of Earth that are not populated that are not being perceived like when no one's looking do they go away and all this stuff and Mm -hmm. so he basically said actually there's some there's a being out there that's always perceiving everyone and everything all the time Mm -hmm. and that's god and so he's like the Mm -hmm. he's the one that like makes sure reality exists whether or not human beings are looking at it um he's perceiving it always uh and so that seems to be like what the statues 
at least they posit, Chi posits, that's what the statue's function is, like someone to watch over all these file cabinets full of stuff so that these people don't completely fade away into nothingness. So they'll be being perceived or remembered so that they won't totally go away. And I guess, I, like, I my question... Okay. I hate. Well, I, so, I just had I just had one thought to say, which is I feel very bad for the filing cabinets on the left of that statue's field of vision because it's looking <laughs> to the right, so they ain't getting observed. <laughs> You're on the left <laughs> on that one, you fucks. <laughs> oh, but no, it, it turns. I, I carry, it, carry it, it turns its eyes. It turns its eyes every twelve hours. Hmm. No, um, it. So, I guess my questions based on my interpretation of this are like, <clears throat> you know. I don't know. I remember when I was a kid thinking about David Hume. And that was a very scary idea to me. That we were just the sum total of our experiences. And then if no one, like, after we died, like, what is it? What are we? Mm-hmm. We might as well not even exist. And that that sort of scared me a lot. And that's sort of, I think, where a lot of people, like, I don't know, Alexander the Great, you know, motivates them like oh, i want my name to be echoed throughout history and i want people to always remember me and my greatness um mm-hmm. they try to immortalize themselves after death um but like as i have grown older i have thought like i mean really who fucking cares i'll be dead mm-hmm. i won't care if people are remembering me i don't care if i fade away into obscurity i mean my kids will remember me you know people i care about and maybe their kids but like i mean i don't know i don't know shit about my great-grandfather i don't think he gives a shit (laughs) you know what i mean and so Mm -hmm. like are we are we any better off really with the whole like idea of an all-seeing perceiver making sure we're all remembered in terms of like philosophy like our world and then the show in the show the statue like i mean to me, that kind of de- the dependence that places on that perceiver uh, bothers me <laughs> and feels <laughs> like it takes a little bit of dignity away from uh, us who are just living our lives. I know I'm getting really abstract here, but this is really where like my mind hey, went no, with this particular that's, vignette. That's absolutely a fair thing to bring up, and I think there's more evidence in that seed to back up your theory than you might be giving yourself credit for, because they have a conversation when they're sat um, in front of the statue about Kanazawa, who they haven't mm-hmm. seen since then. And I am right. to wager uh, this remote for my LEDs, which is probably worth about 50 pence, um, okay. that we will not see him again, at least not in person. It might be that maybe we might see him in like flashback or some other thing, but it won't be physically mm-hmm. him. We will not see him again for the rest of the show. And I'll extend that bet to Ishii as well, actually. Um, but no, I agree. But they have that discussion where they mention him like, don't like. I think you said something to Chi like, but you know, don't forget about. Sorry, Chi says to you, don't forget about. Um, you know, have you forgotten already? Like we've got this photograph, and as long as we don't lose the photograph, then we won't forget about him. But you obviously shouldn't mm-hmm. need the photograph to remember him. I mean, heck, the conversation is sparks up just by mentioning like how, you know, are there other helpful people out there? That kind of thing, you know, Kanazawa. Mm-hmm. So uh, coming up, so. I think that that ties into that as well. Um, But I do hear where you're coming from there. And I think that it's also part of like, 
insofar as remembering the dead uh, and, you know, honouring them that way, like, I think that it's worthwhile doing so for one, if you have an emotional attachment to them, because obviously, like, family are important. But also, I think if you if that's not the case, or it might for be... For us. Well, well, yeah. For uh, us who are alive, right? True, yeah. true. Uh, but also, I think that it's worth remembering the dead because they can, you know either individually or as a group uh remind us not to commit the same mistakes again that either ended their lives or shortened them sure. or worsened them uh, and this is a post-apocalypse scenario in which you know a lot of the trappings of uh, of it are those of war uh, i mean the girls you know she and you are wearing military uniforms still uh, and mm-hmm. the utilitarian nature of the grave like could very well have been something that got knocked up real fast like built real fast just to have somewhere to put them um so i um yeah i 100 percent hear you on that um but i think that the lesson is probably more that if you are you like it's worthwhile to remember things even if ultimately they don't like <clears throat> even if they even if there's no substantive change brought about as results them because unless like you know they still hope from up it's like these moments mattered these people mattered um the things that happen in these episodes right matter. yeah well i mean you're talking you're speaking about it in terms of like utility um yeah. whereas like i i guess you know i was thinking about it in terms of uh more uh, metaphysical kind of terms mm. like you know like what i and that's i don't want to be misconstrued that i i think we who are alive that remember people that we care about that past. I mean, I have lost uh, people in my life that have been very dear to me and I think about regularly, and I think that's really important. I think those people are important. They were important. They are important to me. But I think it's all for me, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think... I don't know. I mean... And I am and and I guess what I'm talking about empiricism and everything, I'm talking about, like, the universe of the show and what it's saying, like, which is different from... I, I guess how how I live in the real world, but like, um, I mean, to get back to the show, I guess, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting how like too like she is journaling, you know, like her her journal seems to be like this sort of fight against all of time and history going into this chasm Entropy. of a void yeah. and never being thought of or remembered like mm-hmm. which seems like a very human act you know just even if like you know it's futile or whatever ultimately you know whether or not you think it's futile i guess it, it seems like a very human thing to do and a very healthy yeah. thing to do um when approached the way that she's approaching it um you know she's not having like a big existential crisis about it <laughs> so yeah at absolutely. least not yet <laughs> <laughs> now give it time give it time um rackham also mentions of course um how how that symbolism message could apply to our present and past um i think again it would just be to not treat people as disposable like it's worth remembering them and like keeping keepsakes of them on graves and such is is certainly worthwhile and by the way these two things aren't incompatible like they could still be graves in which people were meant to be kept like the government or whatever it was like the people who ran the society like built them for that purpose but they were instead repurposed by actual people to serve as places where mementos of these people were kept so they of course were just places to store dead bodies um so well if could... we're gonna go with the 
if we're going to go with the theory that this is purgatory, though, like, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if there's like a society that was like here. You know what well, I the mean? So, the society or, could have uh, come, if it was a mass apocalypse, <clears throat> the society could have been dragged with them in an abstract sense. Well, but right, but, but we are, but aren't we operating under the auspices that this is somehow the afterlife rather than, you know, people that, that this represents how real human beings took care of their dead it's sort of like uh you know the halfway house between here and heaven Mm. and so it might make sense that there's no physical body not in a like oh fuck you we don't care about you but in a (laughs) like you know this is a spiritual kind of passing on and oh imagine if they all these the the graves are sort of loaded with things that represent what was important to their life and what they were most invested in and kind of what the like results of their life were. That's not really the right way I want to put it, but maybe there's the things that they were, that they cared about the most. Yeah. Um, it could well be. I just had, I just had this image though, when you said that though, of like how, if this is like a transference of like, um, actual real world to purgatory in the very abstract sense, which explains like why there's no specifics like of culture and whatnot in, in this Mm -hmm. place. Um, Imagine if, like, there were actually people inside there, but because they've gone to purgatory, like, they've awoken and risen from those great... Holy shit, that's an image. But, like, they just came, yeah. like... Kanazawa an altered like, beast just starts. Kanazawa was just there, like, well, my, the very first map I made was to escape my... <laughs> to yes. escape my grave. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's an upwards arrow. That's it. Um, yeah. But I really like the fact that, like, this shit is here in this show. Because... It, it it's really like I don't know if there's an easy way to make all these vignettes fit together cleanly and be like here's the system that is being posited, you know what I mean? And I like I like that it is uh, I like that it is like that, and that yeah. it sort of defies easy analysis. I'll add as well, by the way, that a really good thing about all this is we have to remember the two characters who are looking at this are like young girls who still don't have like. The understanding of the adults would of like everything that's gone on i mean uh, they just relying on what they know of like the piecemeal history found here and there uh, mm-hmm. one of um <clears throat> cheese like favorite lines is of course like this was something that i believe was called music or something like that you know right um yeah which by the how way weird. that would be that would no i actually like its use in this show because of how it's positioned mm-hmm. in the conversations where it's revealed after they've made the actual proper discovery uh which i'll get to when we talk about the rain episode um but like what's worth recalling here is that like they are still coming to the conclusions that the like particularly chief for example who is certainly the more um i want to say cold-minded person but that doesn't make her cold i just think that she's more like rational she's not thrown to flight yeah, she's fancy, analytical like, analytical mm-hmm. yeah um like where she still even then can recognize that we should like the dead should be respected that they should put the items back and that's a, that's a conclusion she came to independently of like outside influence or what she's read given like you know how how much like scholastic i don't even think it was about i don't think it was about respect like i think she realized that like this is how they were being remembered and perceived like i think it was uh well well, like isn't that they would be forget they would be for well it is but i think like that's not um the the that's not that's less the reason the way i read it um you know, it was it wasn't about like um, sort of politeness or um, or decorum so much as like 
if you don't put that stuff back, that that person's existence will just be forgotten. Okay, but that's so more that's of an, why, more of an urgency. Why, that's why I meant by saying respect for the dead, not in terms okay. of just like okay. The, I, I didn't mean it in terms of just doing it because it's the right thing. So I meant because it gives you know meaning to their lives. Uh, but the key point I was trying to get across there was that she came to the conclusion to do that independently of anything else. It was a re a reinvention or a rediscovery of a concept that you and I are probably quite familiar with. But of course, they're finding out a lot of these things as they go along through this journey, uh, which also ties in again to the, to the rain scene. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a key point to make that, and again, ties into the idea of hope from hopelessness, that they are still coming to conclusions that we find admirable about how they conduct themselves in this world and how they respect other people, be they living or dead. So I thought that was a, a nice touch as well. For sure, for sure. Hmm. Um, next question. Next question. Uh, next question comes from also from uh, Rackham. How do you think she and you handled their first proper drink? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I have. Man. I have. I have two. I have two asides I want to make about this. Uh, in fact, three. One of which is I worried our pat- one of our patrons a little bit uh, when I started going. Oh no! Don't do this. Like in the Discord. Uh, that's not because I should stress I'm a oh won't someone please think of the children kind of guy when it comes to this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, my my first drink was when I was fifteen, so there you go. I didn't do it when I was old enough. Um, <laughs> and that's how I'll... many people I grew up with were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just thought to myself like one, they're going to be hammered. They're going to be absolutely fucking hammered uh, because yeah. you obviously build up a tolerance to alcohol over time. Uh, the more you drink only that only she you you could seem like she could hold her liquor but that was that was great by the way i love that because like i i figured there was gonna be a post-credit scene i predicted in my head hang po- hangover scene we have a hangover scene mm-hmm. and we got it but we got it in the yeah. best way which is that uh you was just like nah i'm fine have you got a bit of a headache now? Just, <laughs> just tap on your helmet make you feel better she's just like uh uh <laughs> you was just like what i'm good exactly uh, the other thing I could I couldn't help but thinking though is when they were dancing, there's no guardrail on this like little plate they're on, and they're over oh. like a cliff edge. I'm like, that's going badly. I've seen some stupid shit. We've already seen <laughs> we've already seen so much like shit falling off of ledges and mm-hmm. floors falling out from under people. Also, like, no. um, also I remember when I first what, sorry when I moved out to my second apartment. Um, I was gifted some beer at some point. I left it in the back of a cupboard for over a year and a half. Um, and I remember wow. finding it when I was doing a clean out. And it had gone off by like six months. And I'll tell you what, I did not touch it. I put it straight in the bin. Um, <laughs> and Amazing. I know, I know that the time frame in this show is murky and nebulous and unknown. Um, but I just thought when they were drinking that, like it wasn't so much the fact that they were drinking beer. It was like, that shit's vinegar by now. <laughs> That is that is that is rotten yeah. as crap. But it was still, it was, it was still uh, you know it was still uh, gaseous, so that's something. Um, well, here's the thing, right? If you want my honest answer on this, um, I like I've ne- this is a great argument for alcohol as a social cohesive, if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I'm totally okay with, by the way. Like, like alcohol gets a bad rap for many legitimate reasons. Um, like like babbling on a podcast for example when you should really be maintaining a clear frame of mind um but i think that you know for when it when you have like a couple of drinks and you get drunk and you're in good company and you're not in a bad frame of mind i think it can be really fun you know that's why i still drink for many among other reasons um 
so I didn't mind like them doing this at all. I wasn't like again, oh mm-hmm. god, feast look at the children. Um, and I think it, <laughs> <laughs> who would do that for oh, this show? <laughs> I mean, like, given given god. what I've seen on given what I've seen on Twitter this week and what people have been getting mad about, I just think to myself like anything's possible. That's true. You're right Anyth- about that. Anything's possible. You're right about that. Fucking space jam. I'll say no more than that. <laughs> the Jesus uh, the fucking the wrestling observer newsletter awards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's some inconsequential shit if you ever but people people are toxically very mad about this. Um yeah. I I loved this part. I feel like that that whole scene was kind of a thematic encapsulation of a lot of what the show's driving at and that like, mm-hmm. you know, um the world is uh, a cold and unfeeling place. Uh, this existence that we're in, you know, on this blue ball in the middle of a vast, you know, uncaring universe. Blue ball is uh, a good term for it. Yeah, <laughs> but well, a blue whatever. <laughs> but but you know, there's still like there's still joy to be found, even if there's no um, goal at the end of the rainbow, so to speak. Uh, you know, even if there's no, like, X marks a spot on the treasure map that we have to go to, like, that there's still reasons to get up in the morning and meet people and talk to people and uh, have fun. And it is lit to live life, you know? It's like we talked about with the Kanazawa uh, episode. Yeah. And, like, we're going to talk about, I think, with Ishii, that you can, that, that joy is... Um, it is it is there to be made by you. Yes, yes, hundred percent. And can and can be and can be made, uh, despite yep. like the the indifferent nature of our of our uh, of our you know where we find ourselves situated. Absolutely. Um, I'll add one of uh, sorry two other things to this, by the way, which is the the dancing itself. I found really sweet. Um, yeah, moonlight as well. Moonlight dance as well. Um, also, I want to note that um, again with the idea of rediscovering things that have already been known to us in the past. Um, mm-hmm. You like um, says that the moonlight is driving her crazy, and there has been yeah. in history, you know, like this suspicion. Oh. This uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, that the moon that you know that's where the word lunatic comes from because Luna, and you know, ah, uh-huh. interesting. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know that. So that's, so that's where it all comes from. Um, of course, the reality is that people just were crazy for other reasons, and the moonlight was a complete yes. coincidence. Uh, but nonetheless, like, the moonlight also was, like, a really just nice environmental touch. Like, it was really pleasant. But I want to also know that um, there is an ongoing, like, uh, how should we say it, a repeated joke that this show plays where whenever um, Chi gets mad at you, she starts like this. It's beautiful. <laughs> and normally it's like you fuck something up you almost got us killed i'm gonna like mm-hmm. you know warp your doughy face but in this scene they do it for fun um because you you know because they're friends and i'm like you get this action that's been done previously as a thing of hostility even if it wasn't really all that violent or you know much of a threat but it's recontextualized as a friendly gesture here can you believe that in episode one she pulled the gun on her can you I mean, believe that- in can you believe I mean, for one? real yeah for real for real like after looking back like after we've seen everything we've seen right i'm just sort of like come on 
Uh, come on <laughs> i'm surprised i'm surprised by the way that um you didn't just end up shooting the bottle top off i feel like that's something yes. that she could have done yes um yes. but i mean you say like can you believe that uh can you believe that she dreams of you as a giant fish that attempts to eat her alive well that's not something she's under control over you know what i mean that's her dreams, fucking brain I, you, can, you can't shit. control your fucking dreams you, oh, you can't you if, can't. If you're, can't. Lead, if you're Leonardo DiCaprio in a, in a Christopher Nolan movie, Oh, well, look. I mean, listen. <laughs> if you want to bring fiction into it, yes, of course. No, like, that's... Yeah, this is a different... This is... I've, I fundamentally reject all assertions that dreams are under our control in any way. Or mean anything, <laughs> honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas... In full consciousness, you pull the rifle on Chi and say, like, give me your ration bar, bitch. So we could have easily, yeah. bro- easily <laughs> broken it too. I mean... I mean, sharing yeah, is caring. This is wild. plenty of bullets in this rifle. I mean, it's like maybe, I don't know, maybe they hadn't known each other that long. I don't know. I'm not trying to, like, you know, make too big of a deal out of this. But it's just like... After seeing this episode, this end where they were dancing and drinking, it's like, man, they really love each other. I'm so glad they have each other. And I can't imagine them hurting each other. Yep, I agree. Um, and also, Rackham adds on the questions, uh, uh, the second question is this, which is, did they handle their first alcohol better or worse than you did with your first drink? Okay, so, ah. story time. Okay. Story time. Because, of course, there's a story. Uh, so I mentioned I had my first drink when I was 15, but if you want to talk about my first real drinking session, if you want to call it that, um, mm-hmm. I went to a house party when I was 16, and my dad, uh, very obligingly, I said, hey, dad, I'm going to a house party. There's going to be alcohol there. Would you kindly buy me some on my behalf? And he was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So he got me a bottle of Jack. A uh, full liter oh bottle God. of God. My dad was cool dad. like that. Um, sure. And so I yeah. took it with me enough and a bottle of, a two liter bottle of Coke. Um, I mean, I'll, I don't know what the ounces are for you dirty Americans. Um, but anyway. Um, so I actually mixed... Like, I mixed the vodka, sorry, the whiskey to the Coke, um, basically half and half. I got the entire, like, I mixed it all together, and I it was at that point where I couldn't taste the whiskey, and I couldn't taste the Coke, so it was just liquid. And I started mm-hmm. drinking it really, really quickly as a result. Um, I was catatonic. I had to basically, <laughs> my dad, someone had to call my dad and, like, come and basically drag, he dragged me home, like, carried me by the shoulder. Uh, so, in terms of them handling it better, absolutely. I granted they didn't drink quite as much as I did, but they also, I mean, I I knew exactly what I was getting into. They had no clue. So I'm going to say that you know, in a competition between my first major drinking session and these two, they come out more dignified in every way possible. <laughs> I think like I handled it about as well as Yuri did, like. Because I'm pretty sure, so so because of my like my birth father, you know, taking his own life under the influence, mm. I of alcohol and drugs. Uh, for many years, I was like, I'm never, I'm just not going to drink, right? I'm never gonna, don't want to be this guy, I don't want to uh, touch this stuff. And then, you know, I I my early twenties softened up a lot uh, on that sort of understood that I could be a responsible drinker and luckily for me found out that I did not inherit his alcoholism which Mm. is genetic um and so like 
I was able to, yeah, do that. And then late in college, I guess when I was a senior, um, so I think it was right before I got married to Annie, we were at like, um, so, so, uh, where I worked at the time, I was a, a English and grammar tutor and, um, at this place called the learning center and at my college and, and the lady who ran it would throw a big party at the end of the year and all the tutors would come and a bunch of faculty would come and hang out and chat at her house. And so we were there and I drank a bunch of champagne and I think I, yeah, handled it about as well as you already did. Like, I don't remember having a hangover. Uh, I had, like you, like you said, I had drunk before this, like wine, beer, a little bit here and there, but like, this is the first time I like, you know, really drank uh, a few. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I was fine. No, no puking, no blackout, no weird behavior. I don't remember. Yeah. It was just, you know, I felt, I felt the flush. I felt the buzz as, as Yuri did. And then I was fine. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's a very uneventful story. The the following day I felt, well, more like cheese to be honest. I just death. (laughs) I was, yeah, it was, it was not a pleasant day the following day after that, I must say. Um, so yeah, uh, they did better than I did by a long shot. All right, next question. <clears throat> uh, next. Let's see. Next. Um, okay, this one comes from Gogoite Robot. Shaden, that's me, has previously been critical of shows that have very little plot progression or character developments in episodes, and I disagree. <laughs> I love it. That. I have been. I, I have love previously, this. I have not She's previously been holding you dear. <laughs> Yeah, I have. I, I will correct you on this. I have pre. I have not previously been critical of shows that have very little plot progression or character development. I have been incredibly critical of yeah, shows. Yes. That have. So <laughs> yes. there's a distinction there. But anyway, uh, Girls Last Tour has very little plot progression or, and character development. There are a few links between episodes here and there, but a lot of the segments could be watched in any order. What about Girls Last Tour makes it compelling compared to other slice of life shows? Um, right. The, the funny this thing is, the slice is, like, of because, death. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, what was that? Um, God, the the thing is, like, I've uh, having been called out thusly. I'm trying to remember the last time I yes. watched that critical. Yes. I'm not saying that I have Vinland. Been, I'm trying to remember the okay, Vinland, yes. the middle of Vinland. I think is a time I remember distinctly. Yes, uh, I don't know right. if there's been any since then, because mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think that came up in the. The gamer show that I can't remember the name of, and it didn't come up in Azokan, <laughs> and it didn't come up in uh, Danganronpa, <laughs> and I can't remember the names of things right now. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> um, but you're right. And the thing with Finland, though, I think for me was like th- there was a stated goal that they were working towards, both in terms of like where they were going as a group and also what Thorfinn was trying to do. And I was just like. Hurry it along. Now, I'll admit, I was not correct in my assessment of those of those episodes. I think I've you turned on it a little oh, really? bit since then. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I still I think, think I still think they were pretty wheel spinny. <laughs> they felt, I mean I mean I've I've yeah. read like the volumes after that where they could argue even more wheel spinning, but I, I think there's Ooh, a point okay. to it. Uh, but anyway, point being, well, though, yeah. like, yeah. The, the, the distinction to me is that there was an agenda on in the, in the minds of the characters, both Thorfinn, uh, Askeladd, uh, and them as a group. Like, we've got to get this guy to this place. So, okay, let's do that. Now, 
obviously I'm not saying that all like you know stasis objectives need to be completed as quickly as possible in terms of show times like I mean there are some shows that run for hundreds of episodes where they have a goal in mind uh, I mean do you want me to talk about Pokemon and like Ash not winning a tournament for like nearly 15 years or however long it's been before he finally got his first yeah. cup something like One that One Piece that- uh, has crossed chapter 1000 <laughs> Yeah, this is why, by the way, I don't get into any of that stuff, and that's not because it's bad, it's just because it's not personally for me. But the reason I'm okay with it with Girls Last Tour is because, as we mentioned before, the aimlessness or the relative aimlessness of it is a feature, not a bug. Uh, And I'm okay with that. Um, I'm okay with also, I think, part of it has been the structure of, like, we don't have a full episode devoted just to Rain, for example. We have a short section of an episode devoted to it. Um, So Mm -hmm. the briskness of each section keeps things fresh, um and that in turn with like you know the general mood piece nature of the show where there is a goal in mind but it's a very vague one and there's no immediate rush to get to it i think sets me at ease with the pacing of it i should i think that's the best way i describe it i feel lockstep with the pace of it is the way i would describe it hmm yeah yeah it didn't um yeah in a show like vinland like you know the pace changes so it could you could really feel the slowdown but I, like, this, as time has gone on, man, I've been like, you know, rules. What the fuck are rules? <laughs> Judge everything on a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Like, because I mean, I watched the movie this week that I thought, holy cow, this movie is incredible, and there were no character arcs. It mm-hmm. was just fully three fully formed characters who clashed into each other at different times and in different ways. And the plot was, you know, the the plot was very, you know, rollicking and things like that. But yeah, no care. So like, there's just a lot of, I think, things that you or I might have been like, okay, this is how a show should be or whatever. But like, I just think, again, um, for every one of those you come up with, like you could find a handful of exceptions like this. I mean, this is just very, very, um, you know, light on any kind of action. Uh, but it's it's uh, fantastic because it really just is so competent in mm-hmm. like it knows okay I'm this sort of a story with this sort of pace and I'm gonna like set my tone and mood and yeah it's just really um, thoughtfully done so I don't really need it to be uh, you know mm-hmm. clicking along at a higher pace or anything yeah uh, I'm gonna say that it's more thoughtful but that doesn't mean maybe that's not the right term because what i'm trying to say is like it feels like more something where i can get involved in the abstract feelings of a given moment and the Mm -hmm. ideas of it rather than pointing to a lot of concrete things like as you said like Mm -hmm. before a lot of it is open to interpretation defies easy classification which is the show's strength um whereas like i say with fourth in like i mean in Finland saga, Askeladd himself says, you've tried this so many times, now it's a joke, basically. Come on, bro. <laughs> uh, and right. I'm like, you know what? You're right to. But of course, that does that is a point. There, 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 you know, eventually it does end up with uh, Askeladd becoming Askeladd, so uh, not by Thorfinn's hands. So there is, there is an intense that, and I get that. But by, mm-hmm. by comparison, I just mean to say that, you know, this show's slow and ponderous nature is in is its intent and its strength in equal measure. Uh, and because it's been made clear to me from the get-go that's what it's going for, um, I don't ever feel it's like the Kess and Crad breaking down and being caught in the mud. Uh, you know, mm. we're going mm. slowly, but we're going at the pace that I think the show wants us to go at, and I'm in tune with that. Askeladd wrote a Kettencrad. 
all the way to <laughs> Leningrad. <laughs> so that was Did you- that was that was Girls Last Tour, Vinland Saga, and then Leningrad. Yes, it was. Where, I need to I need to think of where what anime has Leningrad in it. Doc Doctor Seuss was on the brain, so that's where that form came oh, from. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, you've no. been canceled, Seuss. We're gonna we're Cancel. gonna cancel you by buying all of your stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, by by, they're being they're being canceled by someone else, and by that we mean the brand itself is choosing to, you know, tweak its image based on nothing other than its own internal analysis, no outward pressure. No one was out there talking about fucking Mulberry Street. <laughs> You know what I mean? But edit this shit. <laughs> just it just happened. God, Did you get the gist that I'm going to teach my kid to be a potato racist? head. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. That's good. Uh, I like that. Uh, anyway, well anyway, let's right. move. Next. Let's move away from that. Uh, next question comes. All okay. Let's find it. I've gone off this thing here. Uh, this is also from Gogosai Robot. If Ishi had got to the other city, what would she have found? Uh, a slamming party. Yeah, exactly. That's where the I, beer I'm came thinking, from. I get the impression she would drink a lot of tequila if she had the chance. So I'm thinking there's going to be a tequila party. There's going to be maracas and everything. Uh, and also all those hats made entirely of nachos. Yeah. <laughs> My nachos. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a very fun question. Um, and you stole the fun answer. The serious answer is that it was never meant to be for very important reasons but oh, yeah man. we'll say a party yeah i i, I want to believe it's pie or maybe it's she found like a distillery <laughs> it's the only it's the only like a uh, disco ball in the in like and just like mm-hmm. you know those neat like colored light display things you know she's got one of those and she's having a little party to herself and smoking a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> she's exactly she's like as the plane gets closer slowly in the background fading in is like she can hear it what is this yeah that'd be maybe or maybe as i think rackham suggested before um what if you know, like the girl, the kids from Macadamia Drive ended up in the world of Girls Last Tour by going through that portal? Boy, yes, exactly. She crashed the plane <laughs> in there, and she just gets called Nakadama. the pilot. Holy shit. She's the pilot. <laughs> She's the pilot. Yeah, Co- Courier's companion. Oh wait, did Courier die? I don't even remember. Fuck. Yes, it, he did. He die, was dead inside he? anyway. Let's Everybody just, died. Make... <laughs> dead inside. Everybody died except for the the immortal children. Funny that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Funny how that works, isn't it? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, God. Nominative um, determinism. <laughs> indeed. No. Uh, next question. Next. Uh, from Rackham again. Can you think of any other scene from an anime that might serve as a better ASMR video than the rain scene in episode four? No. Oh, boy. Uh, this is going to be hard. Um, not because I can't... I probably could think of him given enough time. I should probably prep for this question a bit more. I know. Uh, I am going to go probably with... Oof. I think there's various scenes from Land I have of Lustrous I could probably pick out um, if given enough time, but they don't last very long individually. That's the only problem. Maybe... Oof. God. I have one. Go on. And you've seen it. 
At least oh. you've seen part of it. I'm going to cheat and do a, a collection of scenes, but you've seen the main one, and that is uh, in Bakemonogatari when Araragi uh, and one of his female companions talk to Yoshino, and Yoshino fills him in. If you YouTube, if you go to search like Yoshino Bakemonogatari rap, like mm-hmm. you'll find that people have just taken just him talking because it's so rhythmic. Like and just put it to a beat, and he's just like, like it's so it's amazing. It's like so soothing, and I love his voice. I can't remember his say you off the top of my head. It's a very famous one, and he's great. And Yoshino is a great, and that is definitely one that I feel like. I I have one, and I'm going to say from Ghost in the Shell. It's the I'm going to call it an intermission. Because it's a scene in which nothing happens, but it's a sequence of shots of like the city following the discussion between Bato and the major on the boat. Uh, when the mm-hmm. when the you talking about the movie? Yeah, it's the movie. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, okay. it's between that. Are and you something sure? Else happens. Are you sure it's? Are you sure it's not in the intro when that robot starts typing? Uh, well, there's that. <laughs> the needle there's fingers. <laughs> God, that scene just bothers me. Anyway. Sorry. Oh, I can't wait! I can't wait to get that on the workplace, you know, insurance policy. You want me to type faster? Well, you need to replace me hands. Ah, replace right. my hands, um, please. But yeah, I I kind of always think of to it. I mean, again, I keep thinking of Land of Lustrous, but maybe that's more because of the actual OST than the scenes themselves. Um, God, it's hard to say. Um, when Goku's pass- eating. <laughs> yeah. We'll, 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 Shoveling rice. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, uh, okay. Next question. Um, in your opinion, do you think the people who, who Cheeto and Yuri have met on their tour got enough Cheeto. characterization to make them memorable? Um, oh my so god! Absolutely. And Ishii. Yeah. Yes. One hundred percent. Yes, because I think that Kalazar and Ishi share a common point of characterization, which is that they're. Um, their ambitions ultimately fail almost in a way yep. that to me feels like it's destined to fail um, mm-hmm. because they yeah. happen just by random chance. Like they, I mean, it, it doesn't happen in the show, but if Kanazawa was struck by a bolt of lightning, the effects would be the same in print in effect. Yeah. You know, uh, an act of God, if you want to call it that. And uh, believe it or not, I have a theory behind that. Um, but that also with Ishii, like, you know, um, her mindset is, Hey, um, I want to try even though uh, I know it might not work, and lo and behold, it doesn't. Um, but what I also think is really key here is that we need to remember how you and Chi approached these two characters initially, which is with suspicion. Um, when Kanazawa, for example, um, is... <clears throat> when Kanazawa, for example, is found by Chi and you, um, they approach him with Gundron because they don't know if he's actually a friendly person or not. Could be a hostile. We don't even know, by the way, if there is a hostile army in this place or not. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, he could he could be an enemy. But he turns out just to be a regular nice guy who, you know, helps him out. Um, and then in turn, Ishii, like, you know, they have the gun ready for her. But it turns out she's totally cool. And one of the key things about her, her interaction with the girls is that it is based on mutual trust because she asks them for help. Um, with building the airplane. And you might think to yourself, mm, is this going to be where she doesn't end up helping them repair the Kettencrad? Is she going to, like, you know, abuse their trust? Is she going to, like, try and hold them at gunpoint, take their stuff off them? 
you know, because scarcity is a driving influence and in, uh, motivation in this world. Uh, but no, uh, she helps them repair the Kankrad. They help her with the plane. And it's just a completely equitable and fair exchange of, like, you know, labor and time and assistance. Um, so I think insofar as their characterization is concerned, um, I think the key thing to remember is that they're both characterized initially as strangers who cannot be trusted, but then develop into people who have an inner, like like goodness i suppose that you want to describe it as that where they do want to help each other um even in this you know post-apocalyptic world where the person like you know the stranger could very well be someone who might kill you or fight you um i think that ishii in particular has an amazing line where she says um you know it's only history of people observe it which ties into what doc was saying before about you know um the god i can't remember what it was called it was discussing but um with the graves, where, you know, it was worth remembering them. So, oh, Doc's back. Wait for him to pop his headphones on. Hello, welcome back. Hello, hello. Um, so just to just to restate very quickly then, uh, insofar okay. as characterization of Kazar and Ishii are concerned, the thing that I was saying was key was that they are initially characterized with suspicion by Chi and Yu, because they don't know who they are. They could be anyone. Could be someone who might kill them. You know, take the stuff. They've got they've got Kessenkrad, you know? might want to take that from them but what we find out for both of them is they're just regular nice people who help them and Ishii in particular what i was saying was she asked for their help in making the airplane now that could be like if i were on the outside looking i'd say whoa 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 how do i know who you are i can trust you how do i know you're not gonna actually repair it for us after we're done how do i know you're not gonna slit our throats in the night that kind of thing um but it turns out as borne out by the events of the episode they work together and get both of the jobs done. The Kessenkrad is repaired, the airplane is built, uh, she houses them, she gives them food, you know, she, she like, honours her end of the bargain, like, the initial suspicion mm-hmm. that she is framed with, uh, because they, of course, get the gun ready for her, just in case, uh, is shown not to be true. So, the consistent element of the characterization of the show is that these strangers are good people, and, again, this is hope from hopelessness, you know, we don't know if our fellow man, given that this is like post-apocalyptic war scenario, can be trusted. But it turns out, you know, if you give them a chance, they might surprise you. Yeah. And Kanazawa, too, like, you know, they have their, like, we got to make the bridge and then help each other get the cat and cat crad across uh, and get the elevator working. So, yeah, they they are always, like you said, working together to accomplish their, like, their same kind of near-term goal. While I think they both serve, like, the same um, thematic function, I think their personalities are distinct. So, like, yeah, I think that in the short time they're with us, I mean, I grow to I grow to really like them, and I wish they were in the show more, though, again, I think that might betray some of the thematics at play. But uh, Ishii in particular, I really, really was fond of. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think uh, they serve their purpose and... Beyond that, they got me to like them and appreciate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do feel like distinct characters, and I think it's also just worth remembering, of course, that um, you know they feel it's worthwhile to um, memorialize them through both the photograph of uh, Kanazawa, mm-hmm. for example, and of course the photograph they take of the completion of the airplane, and then the baking bit later, uh, which is also where um, you shows her creative side. You know, you just reminded me um, of another kind of. I think what got my brain thinking in the whole David Hume, Bishop Barclay track was the whole 
uh, the comment, and and let me step back just a second. Say this show reminds me of a sacred text in some ways because uh, mm. of how a- ambiguous it can be, but also how like you can construct a meaning, a lot of different meanings out of it based on the weight that you give certain small bits of it. And this mm-hmm. is what religious people do everywhere all the time. Um, but there's a, a line that Ishii has, and that's like, you know, I'm really glad that you guys helped me make this airplane. I'm going to paraphrase here. And not because of the work you did, but because I needed someone here to see this moment. Yeah, yeah. Like it mattered. I mentioned this while you were away, yeah. Yeah, it mattered so much more. Um, It's almost like it wouldn't have mattered at all if no one was there to actually perceive it and chronicle it. Uh, And so that, that seemed to give even more kind of weight to what i was saying before and and got me thinking on that on that track like is you know uh metaphysically speaking in in the philosophy world this is very confusing because terms mean different things when you're talking about them in in different contexts but this is what we call idealism uh when think that reality nothing exists sort of mind independently that things are that things are just because they're an idea or a perception, right? Um, and that there's nothing kind of beyond that. Or if there is, then we can't even, we don't even know what that is enough to even talk about it. So why talk about it? Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that because, yeah, that I thought that was an amazing line. And again, was like, got me thinking on this, on this wavelength. But yeah, but yeah, they're great characters. So we can go to the next question if you don't have anything else. Yeah. Uh, for sure, I'll just add very quickly, by the way, to that that I uh, I think that Ishii asking for their help, uh, it might not have been entirely just because of their you know abilities to necessarily help her. I mean, they're only kids, for example, so they can't do much mm-hmm. heavy lifting or whatever, uh, and they don't have any technical skills. But again, I think it might have been a pretext to having people around to observe, um, you know, the f- final result because she could have built the plane on her own in enough time. I reckon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I think that I agree with you as well that that is a really powerful line from her and it ties in with so much else that happens in the show. The journal keeping on uh, Cheese Park, for example. Um, you know, the memorial, uh, sorry, the the graves that we've seen, the filing cabinets where they kept the key with the mementos there. You know, the photographs, all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, I right. hate, I, the, just to, I mean, I know I said we're going to end, but just, you, you got me thinking, like, thinking, I really don't, like the idea that like something isn't real just because um i don't know that it's something that we all as a society agree to that we could have agreed to anything else but we agreed to this and just because it were possible for us to agree to something else that means it's not real just because you know what i mean like um i don't know like uh like we've all sort of agreed like it will be bad to to kill each other like mm-hmm. just going up and killing someone for no reason would be bad like we agreed that that was bad and that should be punished we could have not done that but like i think basically yeah just that like i don't know that that a bunch of people what am I trying to say, Shadon? Maybe I'm just getting too abstract for my own good here. But but just, yeah, I mean, like, 
I think I think it is important that Yuki, uh, not Yuki, Yuri and Chito were there to see that flight. I mean, I did yeah. think it, it, the group of them there recognizing how important it was made it important. I think it yeah. really was important. Just because it's possible for them not to be there or that, you know, the plane blew or whatever, like a million different reasons. That doesn't mean like it's, it's not important. Yeah. You know, I'll just, I want to bring up a quick alley though, actually, because now it's probably the time as any for me to mention it. Um, I remember as a kid watching an episode of uh, a cartoon, the Moomins, you may have heard, uh, heard of them. They're actually yes. a sweet Swedish um, creation mm. by Toe Jansen. Uh, but I think that they're actually quite popular in Japan. And I remember thinking even as a kid, like this looks like it's from Japan. Uh, but it's not. Anyway, um, this particular episode I'm bringing up because one of the Moomins is actually in the process of building an airplane. Um, and in the same episode, one of the other Moomins has, through a lightning strike hitting them, gained the power, apparently, uh, to see the future. Mm-hmm. And so there's like uh, comedy elements of like, you know, hey, can you give me the lottery numbers and all this, you know, because you can see the future and all that crap. Um, but the Moomin with the uh, ability to see the future goes to see the one who's building the airplane and says, um, hey, I can tell you if it's going to succeed or not. And uh, the other Moomin's like, no, I do not want you <laughs> to tell me whatsoever if mm-hmm. it fit, succeeds or not. And I think that that, I've, that still stuck me even to this day. And it was, it, mm-hmm. it, I was reminded of it with this episode because even if, again, much in the same way as Kanazawa's maps were, do, were by whatever force of nature it was, like, destined to, you know, f- be blown away, to fail, to fall apart, um, the effort of trying alone is still worthwhile, as evidenced by this episode. And so even knowing it was going to fail, like, if, if that, in the case of that Moomin episode, like, you know, st- like, still trying, even though you aren't certain to succeed, is still all the more important, in my opinion. So, yeah, it just reminded me of that, reminded me of that lesson, which is, the actual effort is worthwhile in of itself, even if ultimately it doesn't pay off. You're here. Here, here. Right, next question. Uh, this one comes also from Yukikinon. Um, what do you think about Ishii's... What do you think about Ishii's statement, true hopelessness is not having anywhere to go? Do you agree or disagree with that kind of perspective? Boo. Um... Depends on, like, because I think that for a lot of people, they'll always find a place where they belong. I mean, there's actually mention of home in these episodes. Like, where is our home? Do we have a house? No, our Kessenkrad is our house, you know, that kind of thing. Um, right. So, it, like, where you're going needn't be a moving target, can be a static place. Um, but I think by extension, I think the, the way I would answer this is I'd say it's not necessarily about having a place to go, but more a place that you belong um, mm. And I think that might potentially be a little bit of what's driving a um, Chi in specific, like, you know, she's the one leading this little expedition to try and go up to the top level. Um, because they need to find, they, they have, their journey has to come to an end eventually. It is the last tour, after all. Um, mm. So they, they need to find somewhere to go. Um, but yeah, I think that if you don't have a place to belong, like in terms of both your physical, uh, your emotional, your social, if like if you're missing all of that, then I would agree that does count as true hopelessness. I would say, um, that's the way I would answer that. Um, 
But I think that also, like, maybe if I want to answer it differently, um, it, going somewhere doesn't necessarily mean moving physically, but also could just be to have an objective in mind, to have a thing that you want to do next. Um, but the problem with that is that it feels like it can be selective, where is it because you feel hopelessness that you don't have an objective, or is it because you have the because you don't have an objective, or is it because you have an objective you feel hopelessness? Like the what, chicken and the egg. Oh no. Yes. What comes first? Um, but I do think it's certainly something that people could feel if they had literally nothing left in terms of like where they belong and where they intend to go next with their lives. Um, I just not. I just can't say of any certainty if I believe that it's the cause or the effect of that. Um. Gogo says that there are still episodes of the movements that scare her to this day. It's <laughs> incredible. That's the only that's the only one I specifically remember, by the way. The rest of them just completely fade from my head. I don't I I can't get a clear picture, but I know I've heard of the movements. Um, do you mind repeating Yuki's question? Because I, I sort of missed some of the wording when you were reading it the first time. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh what do you think about Ishii's statement? True hopelessness is not having anywhere to go. Do you agree or disagree with that kind of perspective? Man, I don't I don't remember her saying that. Um, but Yuki would know. I mean, after all, this is this is uh this is Yuki's pick. Um Hmm. When did she say that? Uh, I can't recall it specifically, but I do, I do recall it being said. I think it was probably in the during the montage scene, <coughs> prior to the launch. I guess. I so I sort of I don't know. So I think here here is my take on Ishii, the character, um, coupled with the the scenes where they talk about the road signs, um. And I guess this will also tie into Kanazawa, because I think Ishii and Kanazawa serve similar functions thematically. You know, Ishii was always going to fail, right? Um, mm-hmm. She, like Kanazawa, had this grand ambition. Um, maybe not her life's work like Kanazawa, but still like what she was putting her whole life into for a certain period of time. She's trying to get from point A to point B. Why is she trying? Because she found this map created mm-hmm. for her. Or at least so she sort of thinks that, right? She's um um eating potatoes for the first time. Okay, okay, so this is first. Yeah, I think I think she's gonna I think she amends this statement. Like I think after she fails, she would not say that. Um because you know, she again, so she's constructing this plane to fly somewhere else because there's a map that she found saying this is where one should go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something good here or whatever. And she follows the directions and then it breaks apart and she crashes. And I think when she's parachuting out is when like she says like the shit that is like amazing, right? That um, she says, let's see. So I have in my notes when the plane blew up, I wrote to well fuck. <laughs> yeah, that was my feeling. I was like, was she's like, got it. She's got it. No, she's not got she's it. She's dead. I thought she died. But no, she's parachuted out, right? And she says that like, um, you know, after having her whole life's 
work, her goals that she set for herself blown up, she doesn't start crying. She doesn't fall into despair. Um, she has a smile on her face and she says, once you fail, you feel carefree. There's like a sense of relief because mm-hmm. now there's a blank slate. Like you could do anything from this point forward. There's no, you're not locked into any particular objective. And I think this ties in again to the road signs, right? Where cheese very much like we need to follow the signs and use like, no, like don't follow the signs. That's stupid. Um, I think that the show that, and this particularly this airplane crashing scene is, is there's, here's another bit of like philosophy, right? Is that, um, I think it's very kind of like existentialist in terms of like, and by that, I mean like specifically like the 20th century, the early 20th century existentialists from Europe and America. Um, that like, some of these characters have goals and ambitions or like roadmaps that they've inherited mm-hmm. things that they think are important because other people thought they were important and the world doesn't give a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they blow up and what, and so they're, they're, they're left without a plan at all without a goal at all but that's not bad for them ultimately they come to this like realization that like i'm actually free now to decide for myself what i want to do and where i should go yeah and not follow any road signs not follow any maps i've inherited um you know i've failed the sun will set and the sun will rise and i'm still gonna live my life there's still good things about life. I mean, they tell Kanazawa, like, look at all the lights, like there's beauty in the world. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Ishii realizes like her inner sense of freedom and relief as she's falling. Um, and we see at the end of episode seven, you know, the two girls say sweetness is happiness, uh, or that, you know, getting drunk and dancing is happiness. There's a great scene in episode seven when, yeah she is afraid of heights and she's going down a ladder and you could envision this ladder as like life and she always wants to look down and see all the way to the bottom but it's scary because she can't see the bottom and but yuri says don't look down just hold my hand and take one step at a time and like yeah i mean i think this is it i think I, I don't I, I don't think that the Ishii character is meant to drive home hopelessness in terms of like feeling despair. I think the show is about redefining what hope means. Um mm. and it is meant to show us that like the like there's nothing sacred or inherently valuable about the goals that we've been given by other people um and that we're always we're free to the the world doesn't give a shit about them they could fail too but like we're free to set our own goals yeah and move move forward in the way that we want to 
Yeah, it's bad that they tried to not, like, even despite everything in this world being as bleak and sterile and empty as it is, you know, they're still trying to do wonderful things. I mean, flight is an incredible invention, you know? Um, and I'll give Ishii credit for not, like, you know, because I kept reeling through, like, stock footage of, like, people with, like, little, like, crappy wingsuits made out of cardboard <laughs> in the 30s and whatnot. You know, yeah. those, those ones in black and white would just go, <laughs> Like, but, but... But no, like, um, it's all part of the same idea, which is, even with so few people left in this world, however that came to be, even despite the fact, you know, like, that it would drive people rightly to despair, people are still trying, people are still trying to, you know, ascend, um, you know, trying to create, trying to, they're discovering or rediscovering things, uh, that we had known previously, um, and also key to note here is uh, they're not doing so like like she didn't want to make this plane to go fight someone or like bomb somewhere. She wanted to do it just for the sh- the wonder of exploration to go see what was on the other on the other city. Um, so yeah, again, hope from hopelessness. You know, even in the bleakest of scenarios where there's literally nothing, it's just a, a void. This place, you know, like the characters are still. Um, they're still finding ways to give their lives and the world meaning, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it, like I mean when I say that it's about redefining what hope means. Yeah. Because, like, there's a lot, there's, like, you know, I don't know. There's these very specific things that, that some people, I think, think about when, when they think about the kind of abstract definition of hope. Um, you know, similar to, like, faith uh hope in for something like very particular um hope that uh i don't know i think maybe a lot of people's hopes are inherited <laughs> and they and they haven't uh kind of decided what they themselves are going to hope for and what they themselves are going to make uh and and kind of like fully actualized independent of what other people might expect of them or what other people think is the the way you should be doing things or the way you ought to be like i think what i mean by redefining hope is that like what you said that um realizing that the way that life in the world is 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 very indifferent that there's nothing built into this life that is like hope for this you know what i mean like uh in a in a grand sense i mean certainly you hope you like win the lottery or hope you have a nice day at work or or hope uh i don't know that someone makes you nice i don't know but i mean in a in a larger sense like to get that gives your life structure meaning purpose yada yada i think the show is trying to say like that stuff isn't baked into reality like but you gotta make it you gotta make Uh it happen for yourself and that doesn't mean it's any less valid because it's something that you uh that you created so Mm. yeah 100 percent okay uh let's see next question uh this is from rackham jr what do you believe happens to Ishii once she finally lands in a parachute? Uh, she <laughs> arrives at a slamming party. Again, Again it's just yeah. a different one. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah. And also, I should uh, the question that follows this is, what do you believe she chooses to do after? <sighs> um, 
<laughs> who knows, man? The the. The, 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 I feel like I have to answer this like I answered the end of Akadama She and Kanazawa five. meet and they get married. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. Let's... <laughs> hey, hey, baby, you ever read the Omega Man? <laughs> God, they they go in front of the statue and they're like, before these witnesses, I mean, I, take I, you. I mean, I mean, you know, when I was in when I was in college, there was this girl who said to me, "Not if you were the last guy on earth." And well, look at me now. Guess oh, what? Dear. That's me. <laughs> I'm gonna put your I'm gonna put your assertion to the test. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but my honest answer to this is, I can speculate on this, but I think ultimately it doesn't matter because I think that at this point she is gone from the show. Um, yeah. And indeed, I think the fact that they make specific mention of her going to the lowest level, much as I think... Uh, I don't oh, did they say that? Well, I missed that. Yeah, like if she's, oh, cool. she's, okay. she's going to fall okay. down there. Um, so again, if we take this to be like, you know, purgatory, some metaphysical realm or whatever, well, that's the Nadir. She has been punished for trying to, you know, do the thing she did by flying. If you want to read it that way. But I, I, but I think that... Um, you Poppy's know, like... <laughs> Poppy, <laughs> you know she's tried to escape from purgatory and has been sent back has been cast down again to the bottom layer that kind of thing uh, mm. i don't strictly speaking believe that um yeah I don't but either. i do th- but i do think that um there's a very good reason that's mentioned in contrast to the fact that the girls chi and you are trying to meet, reach the top level um so yeah i think that i think that she'll be just fine to be quite honest i think yeah. maybe she might I think her goal, if she had one, would be to try and get back to where she was previously. Mm-hmm. If all because, hey, I, I know this place, there might be another plane I can find somewhere, you know, that kind of thing. She seems resourceful enough, uh, so mm-hmm. I don't see it being an issue for her as long as there's still supplies and whatnot around. Um, so yeah, I think I think she would be fine, but I think in terms of her role in the show, uh, that is it. If we see her again, it'll be in flashback, yeah. camera stills, you name it. Yeah, I think or maybe, probably... Or maybe maybe she'll be there with Kanazawa and if we meet anyone else later on in the circle going congratulations exactly there you go um <laughs> with the penguin uh yeah i mean i think she think she'll be being true to herself you know she'll probably be building something you know she'll probably be have some kind of objective in mind uh cuz that she seems to yeah just I don't know, be driven in this way. So, sure. Yeah, I'll go with that. That she's trying to trying to make something else. <laughs> Yuki dropping hints. Perhaps. Is that what the googly eyes mean? That oh no, you've you you've guessed close I, to the I, mark. I, I, That's what I'm I interpreting did, them as. <laughs> I, I did say, you know, that there would be a lot of eye emojis from Yuki during this chat. Yeah. Um yeah. and I, I feel like I should have made a drinking game out of them, but that can be for another time. Boop, take a shot. Um, right. Do you have any more to answer that question, Doc? Uh, nope. Cool. Right, that brings us to the end of the Patreon okay. questions. Thank you very much to everyone who's participated. Really yeah. appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, so, Doc, I'm going to let you get your first talking point away while I very quickly up to the fridge. I will be back in just a second. Roll it. All right. Okay. So, gosh, do I have more talking points because i i managed to crowbar in a lot of the things that i wanted to say um throughout this discussion 
is there is there more that I want to talk about? Um, well, the fish, I guess. Um, because I have no fucking idea <laughs> what the fish is supposed to be about. And well, it's the one since... that, it was the one they found in that uh, little river, so it's been like a thing they've talked about a lot since then. It's been in every episode since then, yeah. in some way or another. But like, why? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Well, yeah, I just um not saying like if you don't have a a theory for this, like it's like crucial or whatever. But yeah, I just am like, man, what does this like? What does this mean? Like, what is the what is the fish? Um. Uh, about is it like a symbol for for new life or anything in particular? <laughs> I don't really know. Like, what do you think? Um, but you know, the author loves fish. Uh, I mean, I'll, I yeah. So I'll I'll take that. It's just a silly Easter egg. Um, hmm. I I can if if that's all it is, I can I can live with that too. That's fine. Um. Okay. I was wondering if you had any thoughts about the fish. Uh, I think it's just a follow-up from when they found that fish in one of the earlier episodes. Because um, they brought up as like, you know, hey, we ate it, you know, and all that. And mm-hmm. now it's dead and all that, but the we bones remain. So, you know, we leave those they behind. Bake... So it formed... Yeah. Yeah, they bake a uh, fish. They, like, see the fish in the dream. Um there's other times as I think it's in every single episode I have it written down uh I didn't write down the context of every episode but it's in just about all the episodes <laughs> so yeah it made it must have made an impression on them mm-hmm. we are due more context soon according to Yukinon so stay tuned okay. do not adjust your streaming <laughs> <Okay>. service <laughs> for okay. the show that is already out and we have deliberately paused <laughs> in order yeah. to finish off okay don't, so don't I've got me. I have I have a couple of talking points okay. that I want to bring up. I want to, let's talk let's talk about the rain scene. Uh, let's bless the rains down in Africa or I don't know. I had to slip that sort of reference. I'm so sorry. Um I mean I feel like you literally could put that over most of that scene, or maybe have that start playing when the music when the rain starts hitting the thing. And it starts hitting mm-hmm. the helmets. <laughs> but anyway, I want to talk about this Where's scene because I thought this scene because I thought this scene was spectacular. Um, I want to note, before I even talk about the scene, though, that the very opening frame of the episode is a raindrop landing. And mm-hmm. uh, as it lands, it breaks into, like, motes of blue light. Uh, and it's something that we take for granted, like, you know, raindrops, whatever. But it's it's here shows me something beautiful when examined differently. Um, and so, of course, the scene in question later on is when they're traveling through the rebar forest, or whatever it is, uh, they find what to me looks like a petrified giant mechanical spider... Because it's got like eyes and everything. It, it's and they take shelter under it on, from the rain. And I think it's fair to say, like in terms of Yu's characterization, that she has been presented as a bit empty-headed. Sure. But it, a lack of intelligence is not the same as a lack of creativity. Like you know, intelligence no. is a very broad term, but it's also like you know something we can measure differently. Like there's empirical, like empirical intelligence, like analytical intelligence, emotional intelligence, creative intelligence. And this is where we get to see that you, and this is part of the tragedy of this show, in my opinion, is she belongs in a different world where she can express herself in a way that's not reliant on her using, like, fucking helmets and tins to make it happen. Because Mm -hmm. she completely unprompted, like, recognizes the sounds that are happening and 
like from the, the drips on her helmet and then uses the leftover materials available to create um percussion basically a series of percussion instruments from the rain dropping on it and that forms a tune as a result and when this happens we get the repeated blue moats uh motif from the start of the episode um and i found this scene really really powerful firstly for how it looks um i mean that goes without saying but also because like with a lot of the other moments in these episodes it is hope from hopelessness music is something she has rediscovered independently yeah. without any actual i mean this is why i said it was key that um cheese mention of i think this is what the people in the past called music uh is like important that she says it after it's been discovered rather than beforehand like where she tells you what it is and then you's like well i'll go try and make it no she finds it independently which i think is really key uh, that even like you know when all music has gone from the world people will rediscover it again i think that's a really powerful message like the things that we might lose from like the end of the world can be found again and we'll mm. even make new ones and what's more it's being done so it's being done using the tools of war like hey this is my helmet you know i'm gonna use it to make music with these are tins of like you know dog food or whatever like <laughs> rations we're gonna mm -hmm. use that to make music with um so I think that's I think that's an incredibly powerful message that hey even when we have no culture left whatsoever because the world has collapsed the sun's expanded and turned to a red giant you know maybe black hole shows up I don't know you know we can still start again and we can still create something meaningful and beautiful from what we have because that's the human spirit mm -hmm. it endures in, in totally. all of this and it's coming from you as well which also characterizes her as being more complicated than just i eat all the time and my maybe occasionally shoot things but then that's the tragedy of it as well you can see her being in a different show entirely where she is being taught by someone to hone this like musical kernel of talent that she's got here this mm -hmm. budding thing that she's capable of and it's really sad when you think about it like that i mean the tragedy as i mentioned in the previous block of episodes is that these two girls are in this situation and it doesn't matter what context it's in is it purgatory is it a real post-apocalypse? For the purposes of like the, the the sorrow and melancholia of the show, that's irrelevant because they shouldn't be there in either case. They shouldn't be going through this for crying out loud. And that also applies sure. equally if they were actually child soldiers or if they were just people who scrounged outfits that fit them and just happened to be making use of what they had handy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. They're still going through something that's terrible. But despite all of that, they still make you know they still rediscover something as beautiful as music and i want to note that this isn't just what that scene does it isn't just confined to that i started off this podcast by doing the zetsubo 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 right. thing yeah mm -hmm. but that's the great that that song is a paradox as in itself is a tune that she is creating using hopelessness it is literally right. hope from hopelessness by rediscovering music and that's why that word is being used and i think that's I think that's fucking brilliant. I love it. I absolutely love it. Even though it's kind of annoying, like, because obviously she and, like, Ishii are, like, trying to repair the castle going, hopeless, 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 hopeless. It's like, it's like when someone leans on each other saying, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Does that go in there? Does that go in there? Does that go in there? That kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, the, apart from just looking great and having a real, like, it really made me feel something when I watched that scene. Um, hmm. It has all those meanings packed into it. Um, and it's again something that we take for granted rainfall being used here to create something beautiful in the otherwise bleakest of circumstances something they actively avoid is used to make something wondrous so yeah incredible scene in my opinion 
have to rewatch it because it didn't really make me feel anything at the time. <laughs> Which you know, is surprising. Um, uh you know, but but I think I mean everything you said stands. Like it's a it's a lovely interpretation of that scene and uh yeah, I mean I think Yuri is like it'd be un- totally unfair and like you'd be ignoring a lot of what happens to just be like, eh, she's just some airhead, like, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, that that will be doing her uh a great disservice. And um, she's the only she's the only one who treats the world around them as something that they can like discuss from or find some amusement or meaning in. Like Yeah. Or like, you know, um, she's the one who didn't want to go but you know, follow the road signs. Um, yeah. Um, discover their own way. <laughs> which by um, the way, the road signs were in pipes which are forced paths. Right. Yeah. Genius. Um, Love it. No, that's good. That is very good. So um I think it is cool that this scene happens after they have that you know imagination session in the beginning where they're like oh, oh yeah man a house and they're like oh what if we stayed here we could make this bunk bed and we could have all these like amenities and then like, no what, if, what if i had a lava lamp yeah you know <laughs> exactly what if i had some uh stuff totoro uh and then you know they leave uh but they're able to like find a place of like real respite and and like you know for their own kind of setting like like some culture and uh like you say creativity is really cool it's a great scene yeah uh by the way the house scene i'll just mention as well i love that again we've got this completely like empty space that's got nothing in it like homes tend to be when you buy them for the first time to be fair like right. uh, i was look i was lucky in that i bought mine for my dad so it came somewhat pre-furnished but obviously when you go viewing houses they're all completely empty but they can even in their situation they can still see potential with just what they know from secondhand knowledge like hey we could have a bunk bed and i think again that's great like they f- they don't think well i'm never gonna have that but they still take the time to imagine it like you mm-hmm. know they'll probably never be able to get a bunk bed for that and they can't even stay as long as they'd like to but the fact that they can even consider the possibility of what that would be like is still hope in of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like that. Yeah, uh, cool. Do you have another point, Stuck? Sure. I mean, this is uh, kind of banging on about the same drum that I did last week. But I mean, I just think Chi and you are like, it, it, it's almost like... Uh, I'm certainly not not taking anything away from them as like distinct characters and an, like organic characters in a story. They are that, but it really does also feel like that they're like kind of two two parts of this of a soul or a human spirit. Like they bring such balance to each other and uh, really complement each other. You know, like you you know you were talking about use uh, intuitiveness and creativity. Uh, balanced against like cheese, uh, analytical, methodical uh, approach to life and everything. And, uh, Hmm. you know, there's a great, like, uh, they they talk about, I think it's the end of episode six. I think someone utters the phrase getting along with Zetsubo. Um, Like coming, coming to grips with, with that idea. And I've seen Zetsubo translated as in this show, it's, you know, always hopeless or hopelessness. Um, I've seen it translated in other shows as despair. Uh, I think mm-hmm. 
Sayonara Zetsubo Sensei, I believe it was translated as despair in that show. But uh, those were fan subs <laughs> I was watching. Oh. So <laughs> who knows? Did you did, um, did you did you get the bonus uh, notes with those then while you were watching them? Yeah, no, Miami Mike didn't uh, didn't help me. Um. So yeah, because I think hopeless in the context of the way we're talking about it in this show and the way I'm making sense of the show feels more right. Because despair despair is like a human reaction to the state of the world around you like you mm-hmm. you feel it's in coldness or it's indifference or whatever and you despair whereas like i feel like hopeless c- could kind of describe the state of the world because it's there's nothing inherent in it that is like pointing you toward anything to be hopeful yeah. for but like well, that- yeah, 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 and that's so that then Danganronpa, like Yuki points out, also, yeah, they they talk about despair a lot, hope versus despair. Um, mm. So, I, I mean, I'll, the thing about despair is it's something that you actively feel, and I know this might seem weird, but I, hopelessness is the absence of something, whereas despair is the presence of a feeling. Sure, sure, yeah, you are exactly, exactly, and and it's getting so all this to say, like I. I think that those those two gals are great for each other. I think they need each other. I'm happy mm-hmm. they're together. I think that not just in terms of providing a warm body <laughs> companionship, like I think that their personalities and the way that they approach life helps the other one. Like I think they can help each other learn and help each other kind of get along with Zetsubo and figure, you know, just like fully realize who they are and orient themselves and, you know, achieve some kind of like equilibrium and some self-understanding. Like, I think they really are great for each other. Um, and, and I, I love them together very much. And I'm glad that, that you have these distinct personality types but i'm and i'm glad that they're like not total they, they don't feel like total archetypes um either no, they don't they, feel like uh like two-dimensional spreadsheet characters like they feel they feel very human yeah i mean um i've already talked for example about uh, you being presented initially as i want to eat and i'll shoot things and that's really about it um but she still has a strong sense of like caring and compassion. Like when she's, for example, leading uh, Chi through the pipes, because of course Chi is afraid of heights. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, helping her out when she's driving the Kessenkrad up the spiral. Um, you know, like, because she gets distracted, like, no, stop, 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 and all that. Like, she she offers some strong support for her. Um, even when she's also being a bit of a ditz and causing more problems sometimes, uh, and especially of her like fondness for shiny sticks. Yes, yes. She's a hoarder. Uh, and as for you, as for you, like, even though she is, like, very goal-oriented, even though I've said there's not much of a goal, like, she's like, we got to do this. Be like, let's not get distracted. Let's not get sidetracked. Uh, drop, put that stick down. Who cares? Whatever. going to read my books and all that. Um, mm. We see that she gets to have fun sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, especially, yeah. like, when they have a couple of drinks and all that. You know, she's not completely incapable of, like, having fun or experiencing joy. She's just very guarded. Um and 
I ha- and this is going to lead in a little bit to my rampant speculation. Okay. Oh, theory crafting without care or consideration. Okay. Oh boy. All right. So, what if I told you? What if I told you <laughs> that Chi is God? Um, I'd say you're crazy. Well, you've known that ever since we started the podcast. That's true. So here's the thing. This is this is my wild theory, but I want to know. Uh, you has many times seen Chi in a divine light, one of which was at the temple, one of which is when she fell through the pipe and said that she's bathed in light around her. Uh, when she crafts the cookie uh, or the ration with um, Chi's face on it, the face matches that Stigmata. of the worm no. statue. <laughs> No, the, the, it matches. It matches that of the um, of the worm statue. It's got the same expression, the same sideways look. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm, I didn't notice. And that. I, Interesting. I, and okay. Okay. Uh, so here's something else. I want to ask you a question, dog. To what and end? This is a, <laughs> this this no no no. This is one of my trick questions, uh, okay. which is why does Chi have a fear of heights? Um. I don't know why. I don't know why does she have a fear. I don't know what the accent. I don't know. Okay, it was Liverpoolian. So, I so don't here's know. So why here's does the she thing, have a fear right? of heights? If you're going to write in um, a character having a fear, in my opinion, it needs to be treated in the same way as the Chekhov's gun thing, where it needs to be utilized in some way. And that could just be as simple as maybe I'm over in services. She has a fear of heights, and the society they live in, this this city they're traversing is very vertically orientated. Mm-hmm. So that's that. And it provides things to, like challenges for them to overcome. It's a character... Fl- I, when I say flaw, I'm not saying that that makes her a bad person, because uh, obviously I don't want to disparage people who do have genuine fears of heights or anything you? else. But by I mean to say, like, you know, it's something that it can be an impediment for her progressing to mm-hmm. what she wants to do next. Yeah, That's what I mean challenge. by that. Mm-hmm. But I want to take it a little further than that and say it's not strictly speaking just there because it presents challenge for her and for you by proxy um because they are on a journey of ascendancy here up a spiral yeah and spirals are in and spirals are if you've ever played games with them for example inherently designed to make things fall to the bottom the spiral always starts always goes down to the middle and this is why i think also there might be something working in the background to force kanazawa and ishi to fail because that's why mm-hmm. they always get cast down to a lower level in the end you know that kind of thing. And so I wonder if Chi is indeed a divine figure or a god in this thing and has maybe brought this world about in some way. Um, could could happen in a number of ways. I could rampantly speculate about that. Um, the fear of heights is not just simply of, you know, heights in themselves, but also the fear of escaping or fixing the situation by breaking out of the spiral. The spiral, by the way, appears a couple of times in the OP as well. So there is probably, mm. like, and of course mm-hmm. has an entire episode dedicated to it. Or when I say episode, entire section. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's something going on here, and it makes me wonder that I've. I mean, it could just be that you think she's a god because you use a dits and that's it. But I, I think there's something going on here with this whole spiral thing that makes me wonder. Hmm, is the whole afraid of heights thing merely just that to provide challenge, or is it a deep? Is it a symptom of a much deeper fear of like you know, fixing things, escaping from this world, that kind of thing, you know? And even then, if I if she isn't a god. Maybe it's more a case of the height fear of heights, like you know, is a fear of hey, we find something better and I escape from this world. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I'm comfortable with the things as they are and I don't want them to change. You know, could be that. Hmm. So yeah, that's my that's my wild rampant speculation. Mm. There are hints and clues peppered around that something's going sure. on with her, and I'm like, hmm. So uh, the the way I took the the fear of heights is uh, just to uh, to provide some contrast with you again, who's very much like you know, uh, uh, if you're not dying, you're living. <laughs> That's not really what she says, but uh, she's like, you know, how can you, you can't really live if you're afraid to die like you, um, Mm -hmm. you know, she is uh, the more fearless one as opposed to, uh, again, she being more of an introvert, more of a fearful, like again, she, I feel like that latter scene was so kind of, um, I took a, I took a lot from that, like she wanted to look down and, and see the bottom and couldn't see and felt like you know oh no i'm so far away from the ground i don't know where i am and everything and mm-hmm. you know she had to learn to just like hold my hand and step down one step at a time um i thought that scene was so powerful i'm like even if they wrote the fear in just for that i'd be good um but but yeah yeah i just sort of saw it as as uh as as that kind of thing i mean and maybe it maybe it's like a I don't know something that she has to overcome before she can uh, ascend from purgatory, and this is part mm. of the part of overcoming mm. it was continually ascending higher and higher um, to to scrub this fear that I feel like in that case would be representational of something that she something else specifically that she has to overcome. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, as far as the spiral, like. I mean, it is interesting to see. Like, there's really a lot of interesting settings in the show, like in these episodes. Like, I loved when they came out of the spiral and whatever structure that is that they were drinking on, it was like, I don't even know. It was just this sort of staircase-like set of buildings where, like, all kinds of shit was, like, jutting out. And mm-hmm. uh, it looked... Uh, it looked organic and tech and, and sort of techy at the same time. Uh, and it yeah. was all kind of bathed in moonlight. It looked amazing. Um, and then there's that part, like when, they, when they're in the filing cabinet place, when it zooms out, it looks like they're on a fucking motherboard <laughs> with a bunch of Ram oh, guards. Man. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, like how, how, and again, how does that location make any logical sense? Like, but relative to mm-hmm. others, like where's the continuity? Exactly. Again, I'm not complaining. Yeah. That's great. That's a great. Part yeah. Of it. That that's awesome. That makes the world feel actually like I don't want it to be like a fucking. I'm drawing a map of the world like over here, me like, and I've made a Wikipedia and put the map on there. Like I don't want this maybe, to be maybe, that kind of maybe, thing. Maybe maybe that's why Kanazawa's maps left his hand in that moment because you know the world refused to be cataloged in a definitive manner. Yeah, I mean this is rampant bullshit speculation on my part, but here's the thing, right? That I want to get across by saying this, right? Whether I'm right or wrong about this, as I mentioned before, there are, like, times when I'm very much like, oh, for fuck's sake, it clearly is what it is. Like, I see some shit like, you know, send things you missed in it, like, you you know, in this episode or something, and they're pointing this, like, little thing on a thumbnail, I'm like, fuck off. You can get that. <laughs> I mean, they recently, like, there was recently one, for example, like, what, like, a detail you missed about Peter Dinklage's character in um in Marvel <laughs> Avengers like you know Infinity War it turns out that Peter, it was Peter English it was just ex- like ex- 
like blown up on screen, like you know, to be a giant man. And I, I just saw stuff like you had to write an article about that. You click basically twice. Like I could infer that by using my brain. Please don't write for the level of idiots, you know. Um, so I'm against that sort of stuff where it's just like we're going to point out, like you know, very specific lore elements that you could find out yourself if you're paying a reasonable amount of attention. That kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I enjoy this kind of like self-directed speculation because to me, yeah. it's, a, it's a sign that I'm engaged with the material mm-hmm. and I'm looking at all of these elements. And I'll add as well, though, like I brought up at least a couple of occasions on this pod that also, I often reference Lost, where it's the mystery box approach. Like, what does this thing mean? What's this thing mean? Blah, 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 blah. And I don't care for those kind of shows because there's nothing backing them up, in my opinion. Now, I know that you've defended Lost before, if I recall correctly, and I, or maybe James Beckett has. I can't remember. I, yeah, no, I, as both of us, we, bo- we both yeah. look back on it fondly. That's fair. That I mm-hmm. mean, this is just strictly my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like, Girls Last Tour gets to have, it, have its cake and eat it because there's a lot of things you can, like, ask questions like, what does the statues, what do the statues mean? Or even stuff we've been asked as patron questions. What do you think about the graves or the filing cabinets? That sort of stuff, you know? Um, and that's all valid discussions to be had in terms of fan engagement, but that sits above the bedrock of a genuine emotional core, which is, yeah. hey, things are awful, things are terrible, you know, this is the end of days for human life. But even then, you know, even if even in the darkness, there's this little sliver of light that comes through occasionally from these two characters just interacting with each other, mm-hmm. you know, like with the rain, for example, creating the music. So yeah. I that's why this is the time where I enjoy this sort of stuff because I'm engaged with the material because I care about the characters, I care about the mood, I'm lockstep with the pace. And then it allows me to go, hey, I, you know, I was wonder what this might mean. There's obviously a lot of mm-hmm. things being set up here and there, you know, a lot of like, hey, she's bathed in holy light, that kind of thing. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Is she actually a deity or is she, is it just you being a dumbass? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. And I'm looking forward to it. We'll find so out. That's the, that's the talking point that I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave my discussion for, for today, because I think it ends my fear, my feelings on the note of, Hey, that's why I like the show. I mm. mean, for all the reasons I've discussed, which is, I like that, you know, it has this strong, powerful message that even in the end of days with so little left, Hope can indeed come from hopelessness. Um, Mm -hmm. Even in little ways that you might not think about, like the Zetsbo song, um, there's still moments of genuine fun in it, like, of course, Stretchy Face and all that. (laughs) (laughs) The stick, for example. (laughs) The sticks are always funny. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The environment design continues to astound me because it's just, it's very Spartan, very minimalist, but it's always striking. The Rebar mm-hmm. Forest. The trees that look like the housing or apartment blocks that are like on giant like metal bars, like trees almost. Yes. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. It's it's strange and unusual, but it's always striking and engaging. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, maybe Chi is God, I don't know. Uh maybe the final enemy be Nietzsche, I don't know, but we'll find out, I'm sure. The statue did cry <sighs> a tear under of snow onto her cheek. Mm-hmm. I I mean if it turns out to be neat sheet at the end, it's going to be like a near awesome master boss where it'll be a giant robot or something. Yeah, totally. Um, I thought God was dead. I'm going to correct that mistake. <laughs> Does that happen in the end of Near Automata? It might as well, for lack of a <laughs> Funny. Uh, okay, so my final talking point uh, is me reprimanding me admonishing myself for not playing near no it's not that it's um 
I'll just be provocative, I guess, and like leave a paradox uh, on the table that I think is really interesting always with a story like this. Um, It is that this is a show, at least in my estimation, that seems to be talking about it is definitely talking about hopelessness which and and implied in that is like a lack of destination uh and implied in that i think is an absence of traditional givers of destinations in life like god uh being a, a biggie um but as i said this is a story about that by its very nature a story is a form with a destination an mm-hmm. end point with a god mm, an author uh and that is why i've been told by some it's extremely hard to write an atheistic sort of story and, and a deterministic one um in some ways like so yeah i just will say that because i think that's an interesting thing to think about and it is the sort of thing where this is not me saying that, oh, well, the form, the form of the narrative violates like, or, or makes invalid what the substance of the narrative is. I don't think that's the case. I just think it's an interesting tension to think about. Yeah. Well, I see, I, I agree with you. Like all art exists in the framework it's made. I mean, I'm sure I've brought similar things up in the past, but I do agree with you that by merit of it being as like a finite story, uh, which by the way, I'm glad it is. I don't think I could go for Girls Last Tour going as long as One Piece. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. No, 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 no. I, I like, I like stories that have an end and I like stories that are short. I like stories that yes. are long, but I really I like stories that are short. Story, stories with a defined like finite end point, an end goal in mind. Um, and admittedly, again, the one in this show has is ambiguous because, like, we're going mm-hmm. to the upper level, but you know, just because they get where there, do they get the, the drive stuff. from to go to the upper level? <laughs> like, well, is it just the yeah? Like, what's the what's the what's going on? What yeah. is their motivation? Really want to know I mean, I mean, what that is. I mean, I mean, getting to the upper level like doesn't mean that the story just ends there. Like, it's the last lap of a Mario Kart level. <laughs> yeah, i go, go over the finish line and it's just gonna go that's that you know lakitu um, gives him the trophy yeah <laughs> pretty much <laughs> so <laughs> I, yeah no i i agree with you that's an interesting point to make um and maybe it gets a little meta at the end like maybe we meet someone who's not nietzsche but someone Hello, says like well it's me the author <laughs> i'll do the it, fucking it's, <laughs> it's the architects again Dude. it's always him fucking Have colonel you... sanders if you're ever in the mood, you, Shadon, or anyone else out there, for that kind of storytelling, watch Princess Tutu. I'm going to get to that at some point. It takes this approach, but to fairy tales. Ooh. Yeah. Princess Ooh. Tutu's good. I should have bought it at, on the uh, I've heard the Sentai v- sale. I've heard very good things about mm-hmm. it. All right. Uh, um, Jacob, all Jacob, uh, Jacob Chapman said that he has always referred to it as Utena Jr. I can see that. I can I can totally see that. 
Um, but yeah, I'm all talks out, Doc. So uh, do you yeah, no, I'm. I that's that's all from me. I like I said when you were gone, I managed to crowbar everything <laughs> that I thought was important into our uh, our discussion of answering the questions. So. Yeah, I'm good. I, I hope this episode was as I know everyone liked last week's. Uh, I don't feel I've been as on my game as um, the last time we talked about the show because yeah, it's very, it's... very sleepy. <laughs> so I hope, I hope this was a, a good enough. Uh, I hope people feel like they got their money's worth this week. We, You know, we're not flawless. You know, like we're not athletes. We're just doing podcasts for fun, like, you know, so hey as long as what matters is that you like actually get help like bet you know i like, get some more sleep like that's what's important mate um shall we rate the episodes then yeah yeah what you got what have i got uh i am going to give these episodes uh 4.75 uncreative uh chi ration bars out of five because she doesn't <laughs> do anything just makes with blocks again because she's got no creative personality uh, which is not like you know not everyone's like that but um i do feel some of this stuff like felt a bit more ponderous and slow and didn't quite have the same verve that the rest of it did like the labyrinth stuff was fine and all that you know um but that and the baking episode like the baking stuff was good don't get me wrong um it was cute yes it was but it was the weakest one of the bunch but when yeah. when these episodes hit they hit really hard like mm-hmm. this show punches at a high level in my opinion when it wants to peaks it high is, yeah yeah it is it is one of those shows that i always appreciate because it has a laser focus of intent in my opinion very mm. little of it feels wasted or point like not for lack of a better term pointless um and i i admire it for that a lot it's yeah it's a very it feels like a very unique product yeah and it knows and it knows what it wants to be sets, sets out its stall doesn't expect you to treat it any different like you know to treat it like on different own terms um but yeah i really enjoy it it made me laugh a couple of times uh, oh, which yeah. i really appreciate uh, yeah. there is fun to be found in otherwise this post-apocalyptic like you know tank tread like pace you know mood piece uh it's extremely uh, and, funny yeah yeah, there are some really good moments of humor. Like, and the thing about the humor that I've not mentioned as well is that it's very specific to these two characters, which I think is great. Like, structured humor, you know, like we've got a thing going with these characters where you use the dits. She is like, you know, the motivate, like, you know, the, the serious one. So mm-hmm. you plays the, you know, the, she plays the straight man, that kind of thing. You know, we, we you know how this all works. Yeah, but it, it all functions fantastically. And I am really, really engaged with it and really enjoying it. I'm looking forward to seeing where the final episodes go, but I'm mm-hmm. also going to pretty much guaranteed get the rest of the manga volumes that cover the time afterwards so I can see how it concludes. Because I know that the anime doesn't finish yeah. at the end at the end of the uh, where the manga ends. I don't think uh, there's that much... Yeah, I don't think there's that much left after Buggy was talking to me about it the other day. And I think it there's two, wonder why two they volumes. Do... Yeah, it does make me wonder why they just didn't do an OVA of like the uh, final mm-hmm. sections. Because it feels like... If you're going to get that close to the finishing line but not finish it, um, find a way of doing it. I mean, I like you, we covered Given, for example, like, you know, and obviously Given didn't cover all of the volumes and material, but the movie, uh, as we said on the pod, to me, was like the perfect follow up to the show because it covered the remaining material I wanted to see that the show had left hanging on. And I feel like if Girls Last Tour 
ever did the same thing, I'd be really appreciative for that. I think a movie would be great for, like, the final two episodes, especially given all the hints that it's going to end pretty badly, uh, at least for the characters. But anyway, yeah, mm. no, um, I have I have only the most minor of... um. I have only the most minor of complaints, and that's just more that the sh- not all the episodes were as equally good as each other. But when this sh- when the show works, it fires on all cylinders, and I really, really enjoyed it. It looks like the manga didn't finish till after the show was done. So well, that explains it then. Yeah, so there's six volumes, and the last one came out in January 2018. The show finished up December 2017. Um. Hmm. So yeah, maybe there's only one volume. I don't know. I guess it depends on when yeah i guess it depends on what got covered but it's all available in english as of 2019 so as of two years ago um all six volumes are out so yeah we need to figure out where the animu ends i'm sure yukinon could tell us in chat there's two volumes he says so the last two volumes um yeah i guess they didn't want to sacrifice the pace of the storytelling um which i can't say i like blame them for because it feels kind of inherent to what's good about it mm-hmm. uh, what about your racing and duck oh yeah i mean i really like these you know like i said at the beginning um there was some uh inability on my part due to me the viewer rather than the show to like keep my full attention on it for all four episodes um and yeah, I, I agree that, like, there are more points in this block of four that I felt were um, kind of lower and less essential uh, than I felt existed in the first block of four. But um, the peaks are just as high. Um, so I think I might have rated the first four a full five or really close to it, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with... Um, was pretty close to it here and I'm gonna I'm gonna give uh this set uh 4.5 uh uh Yuri sized whales out of five. <laughs> the U fish. Yes. So you've actually that's so that's it. We need to we need to fire off the alarms. You know, we need to get the size and class going because Doc has raced the set of episodes lower than me, which point, is, is which is a quarter point lower. It's the same. No, I'm, I'm saying that I'm saying I'm saying though that's still a statistical anomaly. It's a, it's a rarity it in Warrior Desho scoring. Mm-hmm. So uh, mark your calendars, folks. This is mm-hmm. a day when it happened. I guess I need to, you know, uh, crack open like the Jägermeister now to celebrate. <laughs> you should. I like something more do than that Doc anyway. did. Impossible. <laughs> uh, I could, I have no Jägermeister, unfortunately. So uh, not today. Sad day. Sad day. Um. Mm. Well. Well. All right. I guess. Uh. I guess that brings us to the end, Shadon, of the podcast. Uh. A little bit earlier than. Uh. We have been ending these under normal. Though they've been going over three hours on the regular. So. Uh. We're gonna let you go early this week. Um, if people want to continue talking about Girls Last Tour or other things with you on Twitter, how would they do that? Uh, you can find me at Shaden1010 on Twitter. You can talk to me about Girls Last Tour, Girls First Tour, Girls Second World Tour. You know, no, obviously though, those things. Girls Last Tour, definitely. Any other anime you want to talk to me about that I've seen, or just anything as long as it's in good faith, why the hell not? Yamada's first time. Isn't that an anime? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've actually... Wait, have I seen... Oh god. 
I feel like this is an like anime. Me- <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think I've seen the first episode of that. Mm. I feel like I'm about I wonder, to go into some I wonder sort if it's of, like, about what I think it's about. Shock. <laughs> um, oh, what a title. All right, I'm just, I'm just going to mentally recalibrate. I'm going to restart, reboot. I'm there. Okay, let's go. Okay, right. we're back. Um, if you'd like to contact me on Twitter, I am at the subtle doctor. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, uh, you can do so on Twitter at waterydeshow. You can send us an email, waterydeshow at gmail.com. You can uh, leave comments on the YouTube videos. Uh, I don't know the URL of our YouTube channel, but um, if you if you search for Water Redesh Show uh, on YouTube or Google, you will find us there. We can be found in many places um, on Twitch, YouTube, Spotify, um, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find the audio versions of Water Redesh Show live streams. Um, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and even if you don't, head over there and give us a five snake rating and a review mm-hmm. because it helps us and our discoverability. Uh, because, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I think people still listen to podcasts on Apple uh, more than any other, despite the uh, just prolifer- proliferation of podcast apps and podcatchers. Um, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash show W-A-R-U-I-D-E-S-H-O-U. Um, there are three budget-friendly tiers. Of course, this show is on the $5 tier. We have $3 tier and a $2 tier. You can get uh, access to Discord and different Discord roles and features with each tour, uh, tour tier. Uh uh, patrons last tour <laughs> it's happening here um we have uh bonus shows we have additional content we have early access to content um we have uh watch alongs we have uh patron activities that they organize game nights um all sorts of fun stuff um q and a's uh all there for you on the patreon page so patreon.com slash show to check that out um shadon thank you for hanging out thank you for talking glt um my pleasure my pleasure patrons lovely patrons thank you so much for your participation in the discord and chat and uh for all your support uh god bless and uh look i think that's gonna do it for us now finally we can sign off and he's been shadon i'm the subtle doctor and this has been watery death show saying embrace each other everyone to the ends of the universe good night bring back the brothers